This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Arnel De Leon, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where if you join now, you can get access to a whole bunch of bonus content, including pay-per-view reviews that include all the NXT, AEW, and WWE offerings going back to SummerSlam 2015 when we first started this podcast, and as well as that, our How To Revisited series, where we go back and check out previous episodes and how the story has changed since then. Special shout out to those who have checked out our Tristratus Revisited episode. It was an episode I really had very mixed feelings about, and revisiting it was uh, certainly a really interesting time and well worth checking out. And as well, now we have for $10 backers a new tier is available. Joe is now doing a QA series, which has now got a video element to it. So if you want to check out Joe's near hour long QA video and last month's as well, those are available now for all $10 backers, and you'll get access to all that $5 content as well. I'm very happy to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by our good buddy Lena Ray and their blog Lena Ray versus the world.blogspot.com and you can find everything they have ever done including their work on the anti-hate games company Yes Mode, pro queer rap music, frenzy plays about a young punk feminist, drunken pop culture classes, rewrites of Star Wars, Dante's Inferno and the invasion angle, his comic about toys trying to kill each other and the quest to create the ultimate wrestling card game. All this and more for free. Check out Lena Ray versus the world.blogspot.com. Check out his blog. It's absolutely fabulous. Thanks so much for sponsoring and you can of course sponsor the podcast request an episode and get access to all that content all the information available from patreon.com slash how to wrestling apologies for my susan sarandon-esque voice and the delay in this episode as some of you may know that the gail kim episode we had recorded and then adobe just completely crashed on us we lost the episode and i had to do a recording the very next day where i was in the throes of a cold so if my voice goes a bit weird in the end that's why thanks for your patience well let's enjoy this episode it's a fab one it's how to gail kim friends and welcome to another episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling everyone's against me your old pal cowboy kevin joining me on this journey of discovery and education in the world of wrestling it's joe graham joe graham it's me hey how are you i'm very well thanks how are you i'm i'm very excited to talk about one of my favorite wrestlers of all time today the oft overlooked ever outspoken whatever the korean canadian equivalent of she doesn't suffer fools gladly mm. this is gail kim and someone who i'm so excited that we're doing a whole episode about now you waited until we were watching i think the final thing we were watching for this episode which is a short documentary what was it called oh it was the gail kim retrospective from fight tv two-parter very very excellent documentary it's only about 40 minutes in total yeah and you waited until the last 20 minutes of this documentary and you slipped in. You were like, oh yeah, I had a big Gail Kim crush in the day. I can't believe this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Kevin, I mean, actually, I'm your I'm, girlfriend. We talk about these things. Uh, I'll actually have you know, this is funny, when, when Joe and I first started watching wrestling together, you 
you literally like sat down and was like, so which of the wrestlers you had crushes on yeah. as a kid? And I, I'm pretty sure it was a much more detailed list than like even <laughs> I was surprised. So I'm pretty sure Gail was on that list, but yeah. the names would have meant nothing to That's you at the true. time. That's true. They would have meant literally nothing. I probably assumed Gail Kim was some white woman with blonde hair. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of those on the list. Like, I will point out, Joe, I was a man of many phases. Yeah. Uh, or I should say, I was a horrible, gross teenage boy of many phases. I think that's very normal. I think all teenagers are like that. I mean, I've talked on this podcast about the many phases I've had as yeah, a teen. Yeah, you, you had Tim Curry phase. Hell yeah, and I didn't even watch <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> if you watched wrestling, you would have had so many more phases. Can you imagine? I'd have probably had a crush on Randy Orton. Ugh. <laughs> so, Gail Kim, she is someone who has found herself in the WWE on a few different occasions. However, this is someone who... When you look up interviews of her, and I looked, you know, did my usual kind of wide uh, search of shoot interviews, art of wrestling appearances, sit downs, and all that, and she's very outspoken. But she is the only person who has ever specifically said in interviews, "Do not watch my matches from WWE." Yeah. So Gail Kim is again not necessarily someone as well who's like a world traveler like some of the wrestlers we talked about in the past who don't fit that WWE mold and find themselves going to a million different companies. This is someone who really is kind of the heart and soul of the women's division mm. from a company called TNA Wrestling, aka Impact Wrestling, mm. which has existed in one form or another since 2002. Now Gail Kim is kind of like the other half to the heart and soul of this division. We've already talked about that other half. Do you remember who that is? Awesome Kong? Yes, Awesome yeah. Kong. And Awesome Kong, that was kind of a surprising episode for you because you weren't really aware about the world of women's wrestling outside of the E. The E. The, the big, E. The big E. Yeah, no, I, I have only... Sorry, no, let's call it WWE because I'm pretty sure the E is what Eric Bischoff calls his penis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I just don't, you know, that's not fair use. So... Uh... Yeah, I didn't really know anything about TNA... TNA, which has become Impact. It is now officially branded as Impact Wrestling, yeah. When I first got into wrestling, when we first started doing this podcast, TNA was one of those companies that kind of people laughed at, I think. It's, it's been through a few runs of the ringer in, yeah, in many ways. Yeah, it really has. Like, it's owned by... Billy Corgan at the moment, is that correct? No, no, no. Am I getting completely confused? I mean, all I know is that like when we first started watching wrestling together it was when Billy Corgan was trying to buy TNA. That was it, yeah. After doing things like giving them like 300 grand to put on a pay-per-view at a moment's notice. Otherwise, the company couldn't do its pay-per-view. And he was led to believe he'd be able to purchase the company in good faith. And little did he know, there was like a whole conspiracy. He's like, no, you will never sell this to, to Billy Corrigan. Like, when I first started watching wrestling, all I really knew about TNA was that they had big money problems. Mm. And... Yeah, the, 2015 was a particularly bad time for yeah, the company. Yeah, really bad time. And I, I swear, like, every month there was some new article coming out or new new gossip or new rumours on the internet. It was like, TNA is definitely going under. It's a real shame because I think TNA is one of these companies, and we're about to talk about, like, a, a shining jewel in a company that has a lot going for it, even to this day, I, I maintain. But it's a company that has had direct involvement and control from Jeff Jarrett, Jim Cornette, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, Bruce Prichard, John Gaborik, 
Brooke Hogan. Like I could literally, I could literally name like every lightning rod of controversy from the you know from the tens or the, the or the the two thousands, and they were involved in some capacity in TNA. So as a result, I think it's become a bit of like a a, a lightning rod of itself for like jokes about money marks or mm. old timey wrestlers coming in and taking all the money. I mean, at the moment, WWE is mostly and NXT is mostly populated by a roster of people who came from this company and were probably underutilized in it but we said in the awesome kong episode and i would almost say it is required listening before we get into gail here because we'll make quite a lot of reference to it tna's done a lot of things very very right in its history Mm. um those wrestlers who i've talked about that you'll see you know on the main roster like samoa joe and aj styles these are names who really came into prominence in tna and were given a platform to do so but the women's division and what TNA did to help change women's wrestling, we touched on it in the Awesome Kong episode, and I think we'll do so more here as well, because they really kind of laid the foundations for oh, you know, the much better women's wrestling we're enjoying these days. Yeah, like, would it be too much to say that the women's evolution came really started from from tna i mean it's difficult isn't it because i particularly i'm going to use the word evolution or i like i'll use the revolution analogy because revolution instead of evolution seems to to work okay. better here in that like if you like, to draw comparisons to the arab spring for no reason but <laughs> if a revolution's happened in a smaller place down the road mm. it'll empower you a bit more to think yeah. that the revolution will work here exactly yeah and that's because like gail kim was someone who proved that women could be engaged with an audience in a non-sexy way or she also proved that she could be sexy as hell still doing it that you could have feuds that lasted six seven months up to a year you could have gimmick matches you could have a hard-hitting style you could be the thing that draws the most ratings or the most buy rates for a company and be a woman they proved all of that and they did it within a couple of years that's amazing how do women typically find themselves into the world of wrestling or how, how have they found themselves into the world of wrestling? I mean, think back to some of our previous episodes like Sherry and Trish. How did they end up, you know, lacing up the boots? It's, I suppose it depends really because it's, it's like wrestling for men in that, you know, it's, it's diverse. People come mm. from different backgrounds depending on their experience. And, you know, I think, I think it's wrong to say that like you can't get into wrestling if you worked in a certain industry because like as we've seen with people like DDP who worked in a nightclub for you know 20 yeah. years or something. All transferable skills are yeah. valued in wrestling. Exactly. But I think some careers I think give themselves to wrestling more naturally than others like anything to do with sports or athletics or gymnastics or anything physical. I think does naturally lend itself more to help you become a wrestler. Right, yeah, because a lot of the, the women who you're very, very keen on have come from a, an other sports background. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that you know, women who come from different, you know, from sports and stuff have been a lot more readily accepted mm. than when men used to come from other sports. Yeah, it's actually, I'd say even today, like men who come from like football backgrounds are looked down upon a lot more than women who come from like, say, gymnastics backgrounds. Hey, or they, like... they can't all be Bianca Belair, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny, there is a definitely a double standard i think in wrestling for men and women in terms mm. of like where you come from i think with women it's much more like oh if you were a model or a fitness model you you can't be a, taken seriously as a wrestler even though people like trish stratus mm. have proved you absolutely can and i think it's very worth bearing in mind as well you know with some of our previous episodes uh we we do the revisited series mm. where we go on patreon and we go back and we look at kind of an old episode and how the, the viewpoint has changed and you know i've said it on the revisited but you know if you've not heard that episode i really wasn't satisfied with the Tristratus episode mm. and just how it I felt it didn't retell really a good story about how women get into wrestling or how 
the wrestling industry for women is different than it is for men or how it was set up and all that. So I kind of think I was still finding my feet at the time. But mm. we had a lot of a chat about the era of wrestling where Gail came up in, which would have been, you know, John Laurinaitis with a big binder full of women in bikinis. And he point, I want that one. Yeah. <laughs> I want this one as well. You know, I want the blonde one, the blonde one, the blonde one, the two brunette ones. And make them dye their hair blonde. You know? Gail Kim, her entryway into wrestling and her background, did this surprise you in any oh, way? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of stereotypical in a way because her... So so Gail Kim, I should mention, she's she's Canadian-Korean. Or Korean-Canadian. Canadian. I'm not sure which is... I've, I heard her refer to as Korean-Canadian in a few right. of the documentaries. Okay. In that her parents are Korean mm-hmm. and then they moved to Canada and she she's born and raised in Canada. She's lived in Canada her whole life. She doesn't yeah. really speak Korean or anything. She, she identifies as both a... Korean As, and, yeah. and Canadian feel strongly about both of those cultures. Yeah, and I think when you've got, you know, Asian parents, and I think it depends whereabouts in Asia you're from, but like especially somewhere like Korea, if your parents are from those countries and they are, you know, they are raising you in a Western country. I mean, is that the, the idea of like, if you're someone who has emigrated, I don't think this is just necessarily an Asian thing, but <laughs> if your parents have emigrated and you've grown up in the emigrated country, yeah. they expect you to excel to a higher degree i wasn't even going to necessarily sell except ex- i wasn't necessarily going to say excel to a higher degree which i think that definitely is a sort of an asian influence an asian cultural thing of like the idea of your your children have to succeed but yeah. i was going to say in terms of like staying true to your culture and being aware of like where you come from and where your family are from yeah and i think there, there is kind of an expectation if you are someone who is one of a very few members of your kind of uh, of your country, or, or you're not many not many Koreans in wrestling. Let's just say. No, that's the thing. I, so I, I looked up you. and I was yeah. shocked because Gail Kim was the only Korean wrestler I've ever heard of. I mean, we have a few names going back to like the seventies. There's a lot more women. I mean, I'm only basing this focus on things like the pro wrestling wiki and stuff like that. My my knowledge of this is is somewhat limited, and I, I can't really speak to a wrestling scene within you know South Korea itself. Like mm. I I don't really know that. I don't think there is as much. I think you would have seen more influx because the only names other than Gail Kim that I was familiar with were people like Jimmy Wang Yang. Mm. And again, I think that's just interesting that kind of like, I mean, he was a car- he played a cowboy character for very, very long. That's so cool. A Korean I know. cowboy. That's amazing. But like, I think definitely it, it always worth bearing in mind that if you are kind of not just a minority in wrestling, mm. but you're a minority going into the minority wrestling, you know, yeah. like, like tag teams of women's wrestling in, in, in this time, this is not something that's taken very, very seriously. No. But like Gail Kim, unlike a lot of the kind of, Unlike a lot of her compatriots of the time, she wasn't someone who was like, you know, bodybuilding or doing fitness modeling and then kind of was told, hey, you should do this wrestling. Like we watched interviews and she talked her earliest memories watching Bret Hart on Saturday night's main events and like crying if the baddies is won and, you know, cheering for the good guys and all that. So like she has like pretty much the purest like childhood Western growing up with Mm. wrestling kind of entryway. She's a fan first and foremost. She actually, her story reminded me a lot of Trish yeah. in terms of that they were both wrestling fans as children. You know, they're both female wrestling fans first and foremost. So mm. they would have seen like how little screen time women would have been given. They would have seen, you know, that women weren't given the same opportunities. They weren't allowed to put on the same matches as the men. But there's, they were still... there's no poster child or pathway for them to, yeah. to do that. Like, And f- I think in both instances, they looked at that and thought, well, I, I can be that person. I can be, you know, the differential there. <laughs> I mean, I've told the story before about like when I used to watch wrestling as a kid. And I've always said I never dreamt of being a wrestler as a kid. Yeah. There was a moment when I was like nine or ten and I was like, I'm going to be a wrestler. 
Ara, they'll just make me be a fucking leprechaun. Like, because I'd seen Finley and WCW wearing the big fucking, you know, mm. shamrock on him. I thought, yeah. they'll make me a stereotype. And that's yeah. me as a fucking white kid in, yeah. you know, in the 90s. And if you're not empowered as a white kid in the 90s, something's gone very wrong indeed. <laughs> also, as a male. Like, I know, right? Kid, yeah. <laughs> so for someone like Gail Kim to look and see, you know, you know, early 80s Saturday night's main event like it's a sausage fest to be sure yeah, and very white yeah very and if white. you were foreign chances are you're going to be coming out with some like vague representation of your culture to be yeah. booed at like you know we're talking this is the age of Kamala and the Quebecers where even if you were from a few miles up north in, in French Canada you were the devil like, yeah. you know so I think what's interesting about Gail Kim's journey into wrestling is so her parents weren't big wrestling fans it's almost a bit like Rick's situation with yeah. his parents and that they they kind of put up with the fact that they, their kids were big big wrestling marks but they didn't really get it themselves but and we're successful and we yeah. expect well of you so I think Rick was going to be uh, was there hoping he'd be a dentist or something like yeah, that yeah something like that and and I know um, Gail's parents wanted her to be a doctor, which again made me think of Trish. Yeah, because Trish was going to be a doctor. Trish was be a doctor. And unlike Trish, where Trish wanted to be a doctor and then she couldn't because of the strikes, university strikes. Yeah. Gail Kim wasn't really that fussed about becoming a doctor. That was more of her parents' wish for her. And so she secretly trained. Her parents gave her this money for tuition to go to university and study to become a doctor. And she took the money <laughs> and went to a wrestling school and trained in secret and like just lied about wow oh my god the can you imagine the stress pretending to go to university and you are instead wrestling and like Like, what like (laughs) the pain that you would get because she said your first two weeks of bump training she said that she wouldn't even be able to move she'd be completely paralytic on the couch how do you explain that like yeah pre-med's really fucking bad the (laughs) the bumps in biology are fucking in 90 like but like the pressure as well because like I think when you come from that type of family where the expectation is for you to succeed and do really well, and you know, and don't lie as well, please. Yeah, but also <laughs> succeed in a business where, like, you know, an industry like being a doctor, like something that's so like high powered and such an important, powerful career to have and to become a wrestler and lie to your parents about it it must be like so much pressure to then feel like well i've got to succeed i've got to do really well because otherwise this is for naught. so gail like many wrestling fans of the time admits to having a kind of a lapse at one point in her teen years stop watching and then she was dragged back in her early 20s with one of the most bombastic storylines of all time it's something we, we dipped our toes into a little bit here on the podcast Joe, what was the saving grace that made Gail Kim come back into the fold of professional wrestling? Oh my god, I cannot <laughs> believe this. It's so funny. Like this is such a typical like wrestling fan angle and that like it this just proves how much of a proper wrestling fan she is. Yeah. That this is what fucking <laughs> made her want to become a professional wrestler. One of us. One <laughs> of us. So it was the the angle with Test and Stephanie and Triple H mm-hmm. involving the uh, the wedding. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in so much for those who, who are unaware or didn't catch our live show about love stories and wrestling from a couple of years back, that involved Test and Stephanie having a several month long courtship only to be revealed on the day of the wedding that Triple H had drugged and secretly married Stephanie, who had actually secretly been in on it the whole time herself to get back at her dad, Vince. Is it the most wrestling wrestling angle of all time? I would say the black wedding that came before it, where right. The Undertaker tried to marry Stephanie against her will in a <laughs> satanic ritual with uh, with Paul Bear. Which then turned out to be organised by her dad. Yes, and then also <laughs> it revealed then that Steve Austin came out and saved her, and then he saved her and was like, I don't want no hugs. 
Toxic masculinity. No homo hugs <laughs> a gay. Come on, guys. Toxic masculinity is on the new Stone Cold t-shirt. You get it free with a six-pack. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, that was what got Gail back into wrestling. That's so funny. Oh, my... So, yeah, that's what inspired Gail to essentially drop out of med school, live a double life, and train to become a professional wrestler. <laughs> what part of that storyline do you think she identified with the most? Like, do you think it was Stephanie being, like, married against her will? And then turn out to be coordinated by her all along. Or the bit where Triple H is like, I know what you must be asking, Dad. Not if, but how many times did we consummate the marriage? Then Gail's like, give me the phone. I'm ringing up the wrestling school now. Get me Vince McMahon's number. <laughs> so yeah, the, the thing that I thought was quite interesting was that she she watched wrestling and she was like, oh, there's no Asian women. Mm. Which is like kind of like shocking, but like, but it's actually really, really shocking when you think about how big Asia is. Oh, yeah. And like, it's so big that WWE once said the Tiger Alley scene hails from, and I quote, the continent of Asia. Eh! Now, Asia is a, it's a very big, big, diverse place. because It's you, several continents, right? Well, I mean, if you're talking about Asia, you are talking about China, Japan, Korea, North and South, Vietnam. You're talking, you know, India, Pakistan. I mean, Iran, for, Iraq. For fuck's sake, like it's a bit, it's a bit big, like. But yeah, no one at all was represented from. I mean, we talked in our Tajiri episode about the real struggles that WWF had, and kind of it still does. Really, you could see with Shinsuke in recent years that Vince McMahon has that mindset of like what worked in the fucking 50s and 60s. Yeah. Because, yeah, there was a lot of anti-Asian sentiment in America at the time, mm. and that was used a lot in wrestling. You know, they they preyed off of the fear of yeah. things like uh, of Pearl Harbor of and course. stuff like that. And, you know, we talked in the Terry Funk episode about, you know, the, the men and women who served in World War II in America, and there's a lot of people who had some, you know, Terry said, you know, they had a lot of hatred in their hearts. Yeah. And... Whether you agree with that or not, I mean, I think Terry in his book did a very good job of explaining how maybe certain generations will just always have this kind of difficulty with accepting Asian people. And Vince McMahon's always been a bit of that mindset. And that's why you didn't see, you know, Asian women or a lot of Asian wrestlers full stop. It's just, I was trying to think of a comparison to like, like an equivalent that like I could really kind of understand the the sheer scale, the vastness of having no Asian women on a roster. And I was like, oh, it's like having no Europeans at a roster. But actually, no, it's not. You said it's like having no white people. Yeah. And it's like that that's true. That's like the comparison. Like it's Asia is so vast. I mean, you you've had had, you know, there were Asian competitors in the past. We mentioned people like the jumping bomb angels and stuff like that, who had obviously, you know, risen to prominence and I think the reality, though, is is that if you're someone from Asia, there was a glass ceiling above you. And yeah. if you were a woman, there's a separate glass ceiling. So, you know, Gail Kim had double glazing to contend with from the get-go, you know? Yeah. So she gets trained in Canada by Ron Hutchinson, who is, honestly, at the time, he was one of the most prolific trainers. Some of the alumni from her school included Edge, Christian, and Tristratus. Wow. So... I think like Gail is really interesting in that I think she's the first woman we looked at really who just kind of saw wrestling and wanted to get into it in just the way that most men did, which is just mm. to go and train and then try their hand at indie wrestling and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, I think we talked about in the China episode before as well, that if you are a woman training back in those days, it's not like now where there's schools for women or there are classes for women. You are invariably the one or one of two women mm. in the class full of men. Yeah. 
which is pretty scary like yeah it must have been so intimidating like and the fact that you've then your training partner the people you practice the moves with are going to be men so yeah they're going to be bigger than you i'm not necessarily saying they're going to be stronger although they probably you know might be but they are definitely going to be bigger than someone like gail kim who is you know she's what five foot Three? Gail is Gail tiny. is is tiny, and I say that with the most respect in the oh, world yeah. because her tininess or her apparent tininess is one of the most interesting things to watch about her in the ring and the reckless abandon. And we got to see clips of her training, and it was phenomenal to see. She's so good. She's like just giving it one hundred and ten percent, like right from the get go. She is trying so hard. Like she doesn't care that it hurts her body. Like she describes in the documentary, she was like, "Yeah, the first two weeks of wrestling school, I couldn't really do anything in my spare time. I was just lying on the couch in like severe pain because I had whiplash from all the bumps I took." Yeah. Uh, and then I just got used to it. Yeah, it's, it's not normal what we do. That was a phrase that really <laughs> struck the both of us, yeah. I think. Because very rare that people actually turn around and be like, this wrestling thing is a bit fucking mad. And like. it was like the fact that she said as well, it wasn't that, you know, she, you know, her body got tougher and the, the pain got less. It was that she got used to it. And yeah. it's something she's mentioned quite a lot in, in the documentary as a whole. And, and I think in a lot of the shoot interviews that we've watched is the pain that she's experienced like from being a wrestler like she talks a lot about how much her body hurts just from yeah. doing you know she's not like she's been a full timer her whole career she's done full time here and there and she's had sabbaticals she's had and sabbaticals stuff. exactly yeah, yeah. and she retired earlier than some but she's still in pain every day and i think you see though with certain wrestlers you know we've talked about in so many episodes you can tell like when someone runs the ropes or something like yeah. that like the kind of how much how much do they kind of like put their own kind of physical discomfort to one side? And I was just wondering, as you're talking about it, from the Gale matches we watched, because she always struck me as someone who had that like, you know, she'd run through those fucking ropes if she could. Because mm. And you rarely see that with very light wrestlers. See, it's interesting you say that, because I actually kind of thought, the opposite of really? that. I, I kind of thought she struggled to run the ropes effectively. <laughs> yeah, just she's so tiny and she's so light, but obviously she is really strong. Like, yeah. there's no denying that Gail Kim, you know, isn't strong. She's she's tough and she's strong. But, like, even someone who's as strong as her, the fact that she's so tiny, you know, I think you when you haven't got that height, it is genuinely hard to run the ropes as effectively. Like, you know, you look like someone like Steve Austin, who's, like, one of the masters of running the ropes. The man he's, doesn't care for small bruises. <laughs> he's so tall and he's so top-heavy. I think mm. it, like, really helps. But, like, the fact that she's, you know, even though she's so tiny, she really puts everything into it like she'll run those ropes regardless like she mentions early on when she was watching you know when she would have been watching when we had like trish and lee and stuff like that and i think in the trish revisited episode we went back and looked and from revisiting the exact period of time where trish and lee came into prominence for the itr podcast patreon page at the moment you know, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, then, then the light was switched on and women's wrestling was there and Trish and Leah kicked out. <laughs> you know, they, they struggled in their own way. They struggled themselves with their own limitations, I think, in the ring. And they struggled with the limitations that were imposed on them mm. by the writers and stuff. But she was still very inspired. So a name that crops up early that she said was a big inspiration was Molly Holly. And in the interviews, she's often brought Molly Holly as like her kind of guiding light really early on. And she mentioned that she liked Molly Holly because Molly Holly didn't wrestle, in inverted commas, like a girl. Now, this is something that comes up a lot. Like, <laughs> a lot in, like, Gail's career as a whole, her shoot interviews. Women's wrestling women's a wrestling. lot. Yeah. And I don't want to make out as though, like, Gail's making out as though, like, 
women fight in a different style and that's bad. It's more like the industry as a whole decided that women at this time had to wrestle a certain style. Yeah. And it was things like, you know, no closed fists. You know, no, no, sorry, no fists whatsoever. Oh, no fists no whatsoever. No, no punching. Oh yeah, sorry, you're only allowed to do four Forearms or, yeah. Right. Uh, so you're encouraged to do things like hair pulling, slaps. You're not allowed to go over the top rope. Yeah. You're not encouraged to do things like high dives. Is that stuff? Uh, high, yeah. <laughs> high dives. <laughs> high dives alongside top spots. I think like moves off the top rope and stuff. Like the idea that Lita did a moonsault and Molly did the Molly go round off the top rope. That was considered like don't do top rope moves because you'll take away from their spots type right, of thing. Right, yeah. You know, Gail talks about how once her and Gillian Hall had to secretly do a superplex in a match <laughs> and the agent was like, don't worry, you do it, I'll take the heat. Like, for what? A superplex? So ridiculous. You and know? like, oh, this sounds like something that would happen in like the 80s or maybe even the 90s. But yeah. no, this is like, what, 2008? Imagine if Ole Anderson, that curmudgeon from the Ric Flair episode, yeah. but except he ha- it was just all against women. Yeah. Because like, it feels like they had these restrictions. But she said that even the way Molly moved in the ring, she said she moved like a fighter. She she worked like a wrestler. You know, she used holes. She used... You know, she she worked people down like she the wrestlers she saw when she was watching on television. Her matches had psychology and a story, and I think you do see that a lot in Gail. And that Gail wrestles like a wrestler, not like the '90s or early 2000s woman's wrestler mm. who have this much shallower move set and all these things that they can't do. So good inspiration, definitely good inspiration. Yeah, it's it's just such a shame that I feel that the girly style inverted commas of wrestling is looked down upon so much as i think as wrestling has become more sports focused the people feel that doing those moves is kind of like it's heralding an era of wrestling that we've moved past of like where women would sexualized and objectified and they weren't given the same opportunities like i will see every time we say we're watching live show along on twitter mm. or something like that and it almost always happens. I remember it happened in like war games. It happened with Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, like when they were interacting in the Royal Rumble. If one of the women busts out a slap, yeah, people get really angry. Yeah. they're like, "What the fuck is this catty bullshit?" And I understand the anger, but I mean, like for me, I always kind of go woo when I see like the the Terry Runnels or Stacey Keebler. I'm gonna put my feet on your hair yeah. and pull your arms because it looks like you're gonna rip their head off. Yeah, and I love that. And to me, it goes right back to the William Regal episode that we did, where he talked extensively about identifying with certain moves. If mm. you can relate to a move that's being done and go, oh. That's that's either been done to me or I can imagine that being done to me. It will make you empathise and it will make the move seem scarier. And your hair, hair pulling poles, is exactly yeah. that. Slaps is you're more likely to have been slapped than punched in the face. Let's be honest. That's true. Yeah. And I just think it's you know some of the moves that they've done are so cool. Like there's a certain move that I know that Trish used to do where. Oh you, yeah, because I remember this happened in one of the matches with Gail, yeah. and I, I turned to you kind of going, "Oh, one of those old cat fight moves," and you're like, "What? That was awesome. What yeah, is it?" Yeah, it's really cool, and it's where they grab each other's hair and just fling each other around. It's like they do a matrix like and it spins in midair. Yeah. Big fan of that. I love it. It looks so cool. And the thing is, I hate that like all those styles of wrestling moves are just so strongly associated with female wrestlers of a certain time. The divas. The divas. You know, the, the women wrestlers who can't wrestle properly. And I hate that because I think that should be part, it should be integrated into wrestling as a whole across all genders. So, because you're often complaining about the proliferation, the fact like every single main roster top male guy is 
got long black yeah, hair. <laughs> they've all got long hair. Why aren't they doing hair offensive moves? Like, honestly, in any sort of like sports focused background, like any sort of MMA or martial arts or anything like that, you're expected to tie your hair back or keep it short because it, you're at a disadvantage otherwise. Before- How come no one gave Nikki Bella any credit when she put her hair in braids during the, the very brief mixed martial arts yeah. inspired Nikki Bella? Because <laughs> <laughs> honestly, it was sensible. And I want to see that when men and women of using more hair-based offensive manoeuvres where if you have long hair, it's used to your disadvantage because it's something long and it's going to get in the way. And honestly, it it makes sense. Well, all I'll say, Joe, is good luck grabbing hold of the big dog's mane. Oh yeah, that's why he puts conditioner in it. I mean, it's not leave-in conditioner. He just leaves in conditioner and then adds more conditioner (laughs) to it. So maybe that would be it then. I think actually if we go with our route of men with long hair yeah. using this we're actually going to get all this grease and shit everywhere <laughs> then you know all the people doing springboards are going to collapse and break their fucking necks because of all the goo everywhere so you're either going to get frizzy roman mm. or broken necks you have to pick one or the other because you know look let me let me let me suggest something mm-hmm. a match mm-hmm. randy orton versus matt riddle yeah. And Randy Orton goes for Matt Riddle's hair and he starts making fun of the fact that Matt Riddle has long hair. And he's like, You're an MMA fighter. What are you doing with this long hair? I can just grab it and throw you around. Uh, sorry, I don't know why, but I am so ready for an angle where Randy Orton claims he's tougher than all MMA I fighters. I know, wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Randy Couture, if you got the RKO, it would be the last thing you ever saw. <laughs> so, yeah, she starts working the indies in. In Canada, mm. uh, with a lot of names who would go on to be names in TNA and beyond. And she makes a pretty decent name for herself. She works heel on the Indies for the most part. And then WrestleMania 18, very fortuitously, is in Toronto, which is the first WrestleMania in like over 10 years to be in Canada. Is that because of the Montreal Screwjob? Um, let's just say the Montreal Screwjob did uh, did lend itself to uh, some creative um, planning, let's just say. Isn't it so cool that I know what that is now? I know. It's great. We should watch SummerSlam 04 that was in Montreal when they thought enough time had passed. <laughs> and enough time had not passed. <laughs> you want to hear you screwed Brett Chance during a JBL match? I mean, we got, the, we got it for you, folks. So it's in Toronto, and as a result of that, we have a lot of the indie shows, indie groups are putting on, like, you know, little little events. It wouldn't be, like, the extent that it is now where there's a whole, like, fucking week-long carnival yeah. of stuff. There'd just be, like, a few indie shows. So she's there with Jason Sensation, who also works the indies with her. Jason Sensation was uh, one of my all-time faves growing up. He's the guy who did the impressions of Own Heart. Right. He was the guy who was like, look what I'm wearing. I look like a goddamn road sign. Not Jay Lethal. Not Jay Lethal. Another guy who does impressions. Another guy who does impressions. Okay. Uh, kind of a sad story, Jason Sensation, because he kind of got signed and then he had some horrible bullying and stuff like oh, that. No. But Jason Sensation, I will just say, if anyone's ever wants to know like how I ever developed any impression of mine, I literally just watched Jason Sensation doing... Like, he would improv as Ric Flair and that's... 100% where I got it from. Wow. Like, he's so fucking good. So, like, his process was always... I don't know. I don't know why I'm talking about Jason Sensation. But anyway, he was with Gail. They were doing a signing. And she was like, oh, my God, Molly Holly's my ba- my favorite wrestler. And he's like, oh, you know Molly? I know Molly because I did developmental with her. Come here and I'll give her a text. Molly comes in a in a hoodie, you know, secret to the indie show. Just chats with Gail for a few minutes. And she's like, how long have you been wrestling? I don't know, like 18 months. Cool. Got a pretty cool look there. Yeah. And they're both like, hey, there's no Asian women in WWE. <laughs> and she's like, let me see what I can do. And pretty much she was signed straight away. That's amazing. Is this the hidden job market I heard about <laughs> when I was struggling to get a job at my zoology degree in 2012? Just the fact that Gail was able to look at an industry 
and see the lack of diversity and go, I can be that diversity. Like, obviously, I would prefer to live in a world where there's not one Asian wrestler in a whole yeah. roster. Let's have lots of different types of wrestlers from all over the world, from I'm, all the different various continents. I will say as well, like, uh, not just to say that like, her value was in her ethnicity, because no. like, the fact that she legitimately had skills. She had skills, but also she's a wrestling fan. Yeah. She understood rare. the business. She understood, you know, it's a complicated thing to get your head around. And I think that's one of the things that's come up most in this podcast is people who've come into wrestling and they're not fans. Like people like Kurt Angle, who kind of took a while to get their head around the concept of being a heel or yeah. a face. But I mean, you look at someone like Goldberg, who wasn't a fan growing yeah. up. You know, there's, there's a love of wrestling that I think can be used against you as a wrestler. I mm. think you know people often are taken advantage of because they have big daydreams about wrestling. But I think as well, it is one of the most essential things to have because if you don't love this fucking thing, like how can you put up with the pain and the bullshit that you will inevitably come across? Yeah. And I like as well that Molly Holly was like, you know, Molly was one of the few people who could actually wrestle really well. And you're talking 2002. This is when they had people like Ivory. They had Jazz. You know, they had Lita. They had Trish who was improving. They had the guts of a really good women's division if they wanted it. Mm. But what's very interesting is that Gail said that she had the... It was almost like it was bad for her. She said it's the trap of having a look and some skills as a woman in wrestling at the time. Because if you had a look, meaning we can market you, we can put you in the Divas magazine, you look great in a bikini, in a mm. photo shoot, whatever it is. But also you've got some skills, so we don't really have to train you that much or develop you. We can put you on TV straight away. And as a result, I think Gail feels a lot of her earlier on WWE that she was green, she wasn't ready, she wasn't spoken to or had any input on what she, the fuck she was meant to do other than be someone with skills and a look who was on TV. Right. Like, were you surprised to hear her outright burying her original gimmick, her debut? Her debut, by the way, where she won the Women's Championship. It's so strange, isn't it? The fact that... I mean, it's, it's odd that she won first and foremost, but I thought it was really sweet as well. She mentions in this documentary how, in hindsight, like, she was glad she was so green when this happened to her because she... Like, with the experience that she has now, she would have known how weird it would have been for the other girls on the roster for this... Show up, like, first day! newcomer, first day, win the title without having to... You know, wrestling is one of those industries where you have to grind and work hard and really put the work in to, like, prove that you are worthy of a push. Like, yeah. there's so many people who work years and years and years. They work so hard, you know, it's over 300 days a year and they never get a championship. And yet... There she is, first day, she gets one immediately. And it's so strange to then hear that she she hates it and she doesn't want you to watch it. Especially yeah. because like her character seems really cool. Oh, the character. I was really excited for you to see this because I remember as a kid, like it was like 2003 or four when they started showing these vignettes for Gail Kim. And I was like, holy shit, this is going to be the best fucking thing ever. And when we watched the, the videos together, we watched these video packages hyping up the mysterious Gail Kim to whom the laws of gravity and physics do not apply or toes were fucking curling out of her shoes. Yeah, it's not aged well. <laughs> no. As, but 
nothing nothing from that time has aged well, I think. Like, The Matrix hasn't aged well. Which is pretty much the gimmick as well, Which is right? the gimmick, yeah. I mean, it's it's very Matrix. It's like she's literally stepped out of The Matrix or the internet itself. Or, like, a Dreamcast demo disc where she's, like, <laughs> made of data and yeah. then the data becomes her cool coat and she's like, yeah. I want to talk to you about the unlimited possibilities of land gaming. What? <laughs> You're not ready for Fantasy Star Online. Her look was she'd wear these little black sunglasses, very Matrix again, yeah. long black leather coat, very Matrix, and then like sort of leatherish type of ring gear. She's always like one solid colour. Yeah. And I thought it was a fucking killer look. And as I say, it's not aged well, but for 2003, it would have been the coolest thing ever. I still think visually just the actual ring gear, oh, the, ring the gear music, is great. The, the like all that is, is very on point. Mm. I think it's literally the fact that they spent a month... And this is one of the rare occasions where they hit hit the pulse of modern pop culture at the yeah. time. Because the Matrix sequels, Matrix Revolution and Matrix the other sequel, they had come out at the time. And that was the coolest shit, right? So was Vince Russo in charge of this No, point? no, Because I know he loves just Nick and shit. No, this is his long past Russo's like, right. kind of involvement in, in any main... He, was, he would have been in TNA at this point. So, yeah, this is very much their idea of thinking we're going to have this cool new character... And they would say things like, the laws of gravity don't apply. Mm. And then they would do things like they would show like her and they would freeze and they'd go, and they'd zoom around. Now Trish would do the old Matrix move now and then, but she wasn't really doing the Matrix stuff that much. Mm. And I remember the forums at the time, and all of us who were very excited about this new wrestler were all saying, she's the female Rey Mysterio. We've seen, we've seen her on the indie. She does all the springboards, the planches, and I was like, holy fuck. There's, there's no like high flyer. But like, I don't understand if people were saying that they... Because she doesn't wrestle like that. So where were all these... What what were they basing this on? They were basing it on the videos that were saying it's going to be the Matrix. So they had cool, sexy lady. They were just lying about seeing her on the Indies. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I mean, people just were led to believe this is what was going to happen. Right. And then when Gail debuts and has a great, you know, a style that is still to be developed, let's just say. But she's not a high flyer. No. Much more of a technical... More like Brett than, a, yeah. than, a, than Rey Mysterio, I would say. And it's not what people were expecting. And then there was a lot of us, myself included, who were like, oh, what a, you know, what's the point of this? She comes in, she wins her debut match, wins the championship, but she's not the wrestler we were kind of led to believe she was. Yeah. And then they very quickly just turn her heel and made her Molly Holly's henchman. Like, oh. So like that was kind of it. You know, she, she didn't have a character. She actually says 18 months into her run, the writers came up to her and went, I don't think we've ever actually talked to you about what your character is. She was like, no, I, I was actually really confused. I'm still really confused. Don't don't know who I'm supposed to be. The like, fuck? fucking hell. How are you meant to do this? Oh. And the ironic thing is, she mentions that at the end of her wrestling career, she actually ended up going back to a gimmick very similar. You can see a picture she posted on Instagram yeah. of her very first debut match. Versus a picture of like one of her very final matches in TNA. Yeah, so like the kind of the look, she's kind of yeah. full circle, come back around to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. It's just a more developed, modern version of that original gimmick. So even though she wasn't told this is kind of the character you're putting on, it, she mentions herself, she's like, well, they kind of, they understood who I was supposed to be better than I even realised at the time, but it was too soon for me. I don't think we think they understood what no, she was supposed to be. No, I don't think so. I think she's being very generous. Being very generous there. <laughs> But here's the thing that always happens in wrestling, I feel. When you get someone new and they're like, oh, we don't know if they can talk. We don't know if they have the charisma. So we'll give them this really cool, mysterious character right. where they say very little. It's, it's kind of like the same concept with The Undertaker where it's like, well, they'll just be very strong and silent and like they, they'll have this aura about them. But like, 
Gail seemed nervous. Like, you could see when she wins the championship. And, like, she says in this video, it's like, look at the referee, Charles Robson. He's literally bellowing at me. Be fucking happy. Cause she, smile more. She, smile. <laughs> smile more. But she'd only ever worked heel on the indies. So yeah. she's there with this belt looking kind of, like, bewildered. And they're like, fucking smile. You're happy. Because you're a baby face and you've won the championship. You have to be happy. <sighs> Think I disagree, though. Because I feel even if she's supposed to be a baby face, with that gimmick, that look, yeah. I wouldn't have her up winning the championship and then grinning everywhere. Like, you wouldn't tell Drew McIntyre to fucking start grinning everywhere when he won the championship or Brock Lesnar. Like, she's supposed to be, like, badass. She's supposed to be mysterious. Mysterious, like, yeah. If she's like Nia, what they should have had her do is win the championship, look at it, and then go, cool. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, like. Exactly. So, what I found out about Gail at this time as well, she had one of the most ridiculous schedules of anyone on the active roster because Gail was learning by necessity. And she said she learned a lot in that first you know, 18 months, but she had to learn because she was in developmental and on the main roster Whoa. at the same time. Has anyone done that? Like, since i mean a few people have done like the nxt loop at the same time as being on the main roster remember kevin owens did that for a little bit you know when he was feuding with cena and samoa but, like, joe a really short it was a couple of months wasn't and it? also as well kevin owens was kind of like a top guy that they were you know pushing to the moon this was and, someone who was learning for the first time yeah and like kevin owens even though he was on developmental he'd been an indie wrestler for what, 15 years yeah like, gail's got like two and a half years experience tops yeah so she was doing raw on monday she do the smackdown house shows then afterwards and then she do ovw at the weekend what's ovw ovw was ohio valley wrestling which would have been their developmental, developmental league at right. the time which wasn't glamorous at all. I mean, you're talking about you'd be wrestling in fairgrounds and, right. and gymnasiums and stuff. So I always think that's interesting when someone is like given the world championship and then you're wrestling in kind of like, you know, hot dog and popcorn matches yeah. you know, down the county fair at the weekend. Odd. I don't think that would happen if you weren't a woman's wrestler. Like No. So, I mean, even though Gail was being underutilized and she was away for a bit, she had a collarbone injury. And when she came back... The women's division was a bit healthier because you know, they had they were using a lot of the women kind of in wrestling feuds on Raw, and they had kind of made the decision that like SmackDown would be where you'd have the Tory Wilson, Don Marie, Braun Panty stuff, whereas Raw you're gonna have Jazz, Trish, Victoria, Molly, like the wrestlers, and we'd have the feuds on there. So Gail was on Raw, so she was kind of in the right place, even though she wasn't like speaking a lot or doing a lot other than being a body. But unfortunately. They decide in late 2004, eh, we're going to go a different direction. So Gail gets a call along with probably 20 other wrestlers saying you're fired. Now, you've been watching wrestling for a couple of years now, but you're not used to this one day 20 of your wrestlers on WWE are just gone. I mean, it happened the first three years I think I was watching wrestling. Where yeah, a few developmentals maybe. Where maybe you'd get rid of up to ten. I'm trying to think because there was like a, there was a year where like a lot of my favourites were let go. Like ZZ. Bo Dallas. No, Bo's still there. Is he? Bull Dempsey. Bull Dempsey. <laughs> I'm getting them confused. Is Bo Dallas really still there? He is. What's he up to? He was in, he's in the B team. They're around on Smackdown. Not really doing anything. Oh, of course he's on the B team. Doy. <laughs> yeah, so I... I, I I have experienced a couple of release days, but nothing like this where like 25, 30 people... Were Ma- main roster like a- as well, not like people yeah. you don't know, people who you were seeing on TV one week and then you're not the next. Like the idea of like logging onto the internet or whatever and seeing like, it's it's release day and like who of your favourites is going to Spring cleaning is what we used to call it. Wow. Or if it got really bad, it would be called like Black Tuesday or Black Wednesday <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. I mean... 
Why do you think Gail was fired? Like, what, what was her experience with getting the call? She said that she literally just got a call and they were like, yeah, we just want to go in a new direction with the women's division. So you're being let go. And she was like, uh, why? And they, they clearly just wanted to hang up on her and just get on with the rest of the calls they had to make. A lot of them to do. Like. Yeah, a lot of them to get through. And uh, they were like, oh, uh, yeah, we just, we just wanted to do something else. Now, I'm not saying this is you know, straight up, this is exactly why they did it and this is what the plan was because the women's division changes a couple of very notable times. Mm. I think there is that 2002 to 2004 period where they're like, let's actually give women's wrestling a whirl because we have hired a lot of women's wrestlers. Then there's the kind of 2008, uh uh-oh, there's been a really high-profile incident and we're going PG across the board so the women are not going to be doing sexy stuff anymore but we're also going to hire a lot of models Now, 2004 is notable for a few reasons. And I'm not saying this is exactly why Gail was fired. But 2004 is when we had the first ever diva search. Right. Quarter of a million dollars if you're a sexy lady. Doesn't matter if you've wrestling experience or not. We don't really care. We want you to be like a sunny or a sable type, like, fun figure. So what kind of things do they have to do on this diva search? Bikini contests. Right. Diss challenges. What? uh, They have to make fun of each other and say, you're a stupid asshole and stuff. Or like rap. No, no, just like tear strips out of each other it was like reality trash they literally got like all these women who were like do you want to like kind of have a go at each other on tv and bikinis to kind of get a quarter of a million dollars and we got like a lot of women came into the company uh christy hemi candace michelle crystal marshall this was one of their main michelle mccool michelle mccool it was one of their main hiring practices for a while and when johnny ace was pointing for those women in the binders they were going into the diva search and also in 2004 as well we started the It already was going on, but we were continuing the yearly tradition that Playboy would have one woman do a big pictorial, and then they would have a big match at WrestleMania. Okay. So Christy Hemi was in Playboy and then challenged Tristratus for the Women's Championship. Then Ashi Mazzaro was in Playboy and challenged Melina for the Women's Championship. And the storyline every year was, you're not a real wrestler, you're in Playboy. And then the play, you know. Jesus. So the different direction is probably more along the lines of we're going to be using the Playboy models and like there were still the women's wrestlers but it was very much like a you are one or the other kind of yeah because like obviously Gail Kim is a stunningly beautiful woman so like obviously you can look at her and be like well she could do Playboy or whatever but also she's like a really gifted wrestler so do you think the reason that she was kind of like discouraged from doing the Playboy stuff was because she didn't want to or because she was already seen as being like, well, you're a proper wrestler and we don't really want you. Like legitimately, I don't think they would have even, they would have even contacted her about it. Like I know there were, there were women who they did want because Amber, like Trish and Leah were both apparently approached but they both said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with this. Right. I know Maria Kanellis was one of their original choices. She said, no, I've got a young sister. I don't want to do it. And then a couple of years later, it's like, mm. Maybe I will do it it's because good money. the money was like that was literally like the most money you could probably make yeah. as, a, as a woman in wrestling at the time. <laughs> you probably you got... make more from doing a Playboy centerfold than you would make your whole year yeah. doing wrestling. <laughs> so it's not just a case of like you know who wants to be in Playboy? Me, 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 me. You know it wasn't. I'm sure there were women who would have liked to have been in Playboy mm. who didn't get the opportunity. I'm sure there were women who they would have liked to be in Playboy who said thanks but no thanks. Right. And there were women probably like Gail and Molly and Victoria and Jazz who were like I don't want to be in that shit and they knew not to even ask them right but in terms of a different direction yeah that was the direction that they were going and it's really sad because like (laughs) like this being kind of such a deciding factor about the 
destination for all of women's wrestling. Like, the story about how Gail even, they convinced Vince McMahon that she should be hired. Oh, God, this is horrible, isn't it? That's like someone fucking introduced him to Asian porn. He was like, oh, if people can jack off to this, then I guess she should be a wrestler. Now, I will say this is like kind of one of those like urban legend stories, but I do believe there is enough truth to it. And there's enough like JR has denied the kind of the recounting of it being like, hey, let's hire Gail Kim. And Vince being like, Gail Kim, why would anyone want to see an Asian woman? And Jim Ross is like, well, look at these Pornhub stats, boss. Asian JOIs in the top five. And then Vince is like, sign her. Wasn't necessarily like that. But right. Jim Ross has admitted that he basically said, you know, people are more into Asian women than you might think, boss. Okay. And that Vince was like, oh, okay, then maybe let's hire this gifted wrestler. Because I'm just saying, if they're going to base wrestling pushes on what's popular on porn. No! When, when are we getting, like, the sexy gilfs? Yeah, when the are the stepmoms? Yeah, the stepmoms, the incest. When is the, when is the character going to come in and make the two wrestlers have sex and then reveal afterwards that they're brother and sister? Because that's <laughs> apparently what people are into these days. <laughs> it's especially gross, though, this whole thing about Vince and Asian porn, because, like, you know, the sexualization of... Asian women or like fetishization absolutely the fetishization you're completely correct is such a huge problem like to the point where you know westerners will go over to certain Asian countries to find themselves young brides or to find themselves underage sex workers there's a whole international industry built around this concept but there's a huge like stereotype as well the idea that uh, that Asian women are like they're made to serve and sexually please men. And like, it's just, it's such a gross problem. It's so racist. It's so misogynistic and it's just disgusting. And like, that's, that's really sad that like Gail partly only proved like, she's like so that talented. was part of the discussion at all. Yeah, like it shouldn't be at all. Cause it's Gail Kim. She's fantastic. And I will say with Gail on both of her runs, unlike a lot of women at the time, she was not, put through the ringer of like you know mud matches and bra and panties and stuff like that it's a problem with the industry as a whole like all the women were sexualized and objectified some more so than others but even still like yeah i mean i'm just thinking given that kind of the culture and the history of the of that that you've mentioned and given that wwe's practice at the time it is a bit of a miracle that we didn't see you know some racist also sexualized match like yeah bra and panties but racist somehow i mean like it's it's difficult for for gail here because she i don't bitter is not is a word that gets chossed around in wrestling she just doesn't give a fuck anymore yeah she's angry about them she's like she's she's perfectly happy about where she is in life and all that but like gail kim is one of the most refreshingly zero fucks absolutely zero fucks and she absolutely is 100 percent equivocal at this point in time WWE killed my passion for wrestling. She was like in her early 20s. Lifelong wrestling fan. And they said they killed her passion. And bear in mind, this is the woman who got into wrestling from that angle with Test and Triple H and Stephanie with the wedding in Vegas. Like She's down for some trash, guys. Yeah. Yeah, Just fucking, you know. killed her passion? Like she didn't wrestle for pretty much like a year and a half to two years. She went to like one or two shows, she said. Right. But she was like, she didn't really feel like there was a place for her in wrestling because this is obviously after WCW and ECW were closed. Yeah. We had TNA, but it wasn't a known quantity at the time. TNA was still doing kind of like, they were still doing their monthly pay-per-view shows. So if you wanted to watch TNA, you had to buy a pay-per-view once a month. There was no TV to promote it. 
So she goes to one of these indie shows. She's convinced to go, and a lot of her compatriots from back in the day in Canada are now, who are on the indies are now working for TNA, and they're working this show. And TNA, unlike a lot of other companies since, was very good at the time at letting its wrestlers work for multiple companies. Oh, that's nice. So when I saw Samoa Joe in TNA, he was also working for Ring of Honor at the same oh, time. Oh, that's cool. And I would just think one thing that wrestling companies of all shapes and sizes should realize the number one thing that's going to get me to watch another company is if someone i like goes and wrestles there yeah when we did the orange cassidy episode i discovered like four or five new little indies that i watch on a regular basis just because they utilize them yeah sharing talent's a good thing absolutely it's a very good thing but anyway gail sees these wrestlers and she's like gets her passion reignited. And this is the funniest thing about the documentary because Joe Graham had to watch Gail Kim, awesome wrestler who she respects, go. And then I saw Bobby Roode and Eric Young just in there and my passion, <laughs> it came back. <laughs> and you were like, what? Hey, I like Eric Young. <laughs> Come on, Bob Roode dad dancing. I like his robe. When we first recorded this, you called it a coat. That was so disrespectful. <laughs> like his coat are we going out to the ring now bobby have you got your coat yeah because <laughs> it's it's chilly out there now as all. Well, so so yeah she is kind of courted back into wrestling but i think it's a miracle that tna managed to do this because they go to her and they say right gail this is jeff jarrett who was running it with his dad and there would have been involvement from vince russo and jim Cornette and dutch mantel so a lot of like big minds in wrestling and some could say conflicting characters but maybe enough confliction to maybe keep them all in line so Mm. the crazy won't get too out of step and they say right we want to maybe someday have a women's division we think you're amazing gail we want to have you as like a a big featured part of the show we've only got like one or two other women on the roster so we probably won't be doing women's matches but we do have plans eventually to have a women's division Mm. so she spends around a year and a half as a manager not wrestling how the fuck did they manage that yeah, because it's not like it's not like during this time she got her passion for wrestling back. She got her passion for wrestling back by seeing Bob Rude. So you know she's there seeing Bob Rude, going, "Oh, I want to be a wrestler like Bob Rude," and she can't because she's a manager. And you know, there's something quite difficult. She says like about being a manager, and she was put in with America's Most Wanted, which was James Storm and Chris Harris, who were like the top heel tag team. So she was like the top heel manager of the top heel tag team who would have been working all the other top tag teams so she had to sit there and watch these guys wrestle like aj styles and christopher daniels or like lax or you know or elix skipper like all these really great wrestlers you have to sit there and fucking watch yeah like god damn what a fucking tease yeah that sucks but what was really cool and she went out of her way as well to, to name a few names that the men in tna saw her as being like a big asset because she had been on big wv tv she was a big star and she had a great look still, and she was fucking awesome, and she could do loads of great stuff. And she s- specifically mentioned AJ Styles. I was so shocked about this, because all I really know I mean, about I was AJ... shocked when I found out that the, the Earth was, was flat as well, man, but, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. there's all stuff I, out there. All I really know about AJ Styles is that he's a flat earther, he's a bit right-wing, he, he's a 
traditionalist. Yo, AJ, say. if you believe in a flat earth, explain the Xbox 360, huh? <laughs> Hi, man. I mean, that Connect. who even knows how it works, man? There's stuff out there, is all I'm saying. And I know he famously said that thing about the gay community. The gay community? So, I did not expect him to have the most profound opinions on women's wrestling. I would say the bar for AJ Styles to impress you, despite the fact that AJ Styles does the most breathtaking moves in every match he ever has. I just want him to keep his mouth closed. Well, is it, the bar to him to impress you with not wrestling is so fucking low because yeah. he has really put his foot in it he a really lot. really has but like, he, 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 she had big praise for him she, yeah honestly she could not emphasise enough how supportive he was of not only her as a women's wrestler but also the idea of a women's division he said she said that he kept coming up with new ideas for her to interfere in matches new spots for her to do things that like women would never have historically been allowed to do he was there pushing to get her these really cool moments in the matches where kind of she was stealing the show you know these were men's matches that were being put on and she was just a manager but like she had the top spot of like a lot of these matches and usually you know, we talk interference you expect like the Bobby Heenan's gonna give you a little bit of a choke in the corner a bit of a slap for you distract the ref grab your, your foot or if you're a, a female valet very often it was like they'd have you up in the ring apron shaking something and right. then it's like oh I'm mesmerised yeah. by, by this but man the clips we watched of Gail when she was interfering in these matches it didn't look like interference it looked like she was part of the match yeah because Gail's gonna come in and do like it's always some springboard top rope fucking like guillotine leg drop or fucking horrible point to the knee there was one we saw she did the American Rana to AJ Styles oh which is like the snap Hercarana where they spin around really quick and, and they she, slam on the ground she was wearing platforms the fuck like Four inch, five inch platforms. Like, that's so cool. That's very impressive. So impressive. So, yeah, like, they used her in the matches and they kind of would then start to build a little bit. They did, like, use some six person tags where they would have her in as, like, the the, the, the extra person. She would go in and she would wrestle, like, AJ and Christopher Daniels and stuff like that. So, there was still a hesitation about going full women's wrestling, though. Because, bear in mind, folks, TNA is a company. When it first started out, most of the women it had were in cages. Yeah. You would have the ramp and there would be two women in cages dancing around. And of course as well, TNA, not many companies would name themselves after an acronym for tits and ass. Yes. And I just wanted to point out as well, I read Vince Russo's book and he went out of his way to say that is exactly why they called it TNA. Oh, cool. Just in case anyone okay. thought total nonstop action was, no, it, we really no. were pushing the tits and ass tits here. Tits and ass. Cool, cool, cool. So we did get to see a couple more moments of Gale involved in these matches. This was one that I remember watching on TV back in the day and I was a big TNA fan at the time. And I legitimately thought Gale Kim was dead. So Gail was told she was going to be put in a move by LAX. LAX. So they were going to turn America's Most Wanted and Gail face. They're going to do that by having LAX like do one of their finishers on Gail. Now generally speaking, the old trope of like get heat on someone by beating up the, the woman part yeah. of the group or whatever. Not a big fan of. But Gail had two choices. She could either take <laughs> the cop killer or Fucking the... Fucking hell, the name of that. I love it. And by the way, that is a disgusting disgusting move and it is so scary yeah i saw it be done to aj styles and it looked like his neck was broken it's i mean yeah so gross and also great yeah great name great branding there the cop killer or uh, the other one is the border toss which again is so scary where you like you, the guy lifts someone off his 
shoulders like above his head and then just fucks them. Like imagine Razor Ramon. Sorry, to fox them as in throws them, not oh, as in a little bit of Kevin coming at you bit there. Of Kevin coming out. It was only when I started podcasting I realized that that's not a verb that everyone uses to indicate any sort of movement. But it's kind of like Razor Ramon's finisher, the, the Razor's Edge. But yeah. instead of falling with you, he just kind of goes. Huh. Just toss him. Oh my god! Gail decides. Well, the cop killer just sounds scary. <laughs> and it looks scary. Yeah, she said that she had seen it be done and every time she saw it, it made her scared. So she was like, yeah, I'll just take the border toss. And then he comes up to her. Sorry, no offence to the rest who are doing it, whose name is literally Homicide. <laughs> <laughs> I love LAX. So then Homicide comes up to her and he's like, uh, how far do you want to go? <laughs> and she's Homicide like, is a legit seven foot horse. He's, I love, LAX's whole team is so cool looking. Yeah, they're cool, they're, they're so cool. And Gail goes out of her way to mention how much she hates, like, certain people from certain countries being ganged together, grouped together for no reason. She says it's a real problem in especially like WWE, but across a lot of wrestling companies where, you know, if you're all the same ethnicity or not even necessarily the same ethnicity, yeah, but, we've had that but before. could pass as the same ethnicity. Tajiri with his Yakuza guards from South Korea say no more. Like. Fucking hell. Yeah, she said before how much she hates like people just being grouped together for no reason, but she said how much she liked LAX being grouped together because they were genuinely had this group dynamic. And they, they had all, a rapport. They, they all got friends, on well yeah. and they were all friends. They weren't thrown together. They were already yeah. like, buds together so yeah gail takes the border toss and it's just i think there's these moments i think you know when trish goes through the table at backlash from the dudley boys where it's like there's a moment where a woman can prove to a lot of men at once that i can i can take this shit you know i can i can take just as as good as you and i think that was a real kind of light bulb moment because when gail takes the border toss it literally looks like her back is broken it really does like she says that she kind of just relaxed and let her whole body go limp and she just folds in on herself she just crumples into this little folded pile she said it was like falling into a big bag of pillows (laughs) which is lovely i would want that for all wrestlers to always feel like that because it does not look like it feels like that i'm just saying we got some positive feedback from when i slapped the figure four leg lock on you but i will not be giving joe the border toss (laughs) onto my bed really maybe maybe onto the bed I'd like to be border tossed onto a bed I don't know if I could lift you up we'll have to get Hernandez to come in and do it for you yeah maybe he's free so this kind of lights a little bit of a inspiration with the TNA booking team who decide maybe we will actually start to have some women's matches after teasing it for fucking forever and Gail at this point is sick of being on the outside as well and you know what that probably that border toss has made her feel a bit sick like, I'd actually like to fight some women yeah now. <laughs> I'd like to actually wrestle now please yeah. so Jeff approached her Jeff Jarrett and asked if she could work with a wrestler called Jacqueline and Gail you know was... Jackie much of her no not really at all I mean I've, I know she's badass. yeah I know she's a badass she's in Breaking Ground I know tough enough she's tough enough the... that's I think it. You, you've caught that a few times me and yeah. watching it yeah and she was quite scary in that but yeah she's a total badass and one of my favorite things about jackie is that she's one of those people who's known as just being like incredibly strong mm. and also as well <laughs> i've heard this about one other person who is uh farouk ron Simmons, but allegedly jackie can walk into a gym pick up two dumbbells and just go Ugh, Ugh, and then she's completely jacked sweating like 100 percent I'm done. Workout's finished. Like, you what? Know? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Which is why in Making the Game, Triple H has a, a chapter that starts with, let me tell you something. You are not Ron Simmons. <laughs> and I will add, ooh, Jacqueline to that list. <laughs> but yeah, Gail Kim, she goes, I can work with anybody. She's so happy. She's so just excited to work with people. And I got to say, this is like a theme among all the stuff we've watched for Gail Kim is just her 
profound respect willingness as well and like eagerness to work with women like there's so many times i think in wrestling where women are pitted against each other and feuds are made out as like backstage feuds are made out as a bit though like you know all these women actually like really didn't get along and they all she has spoken about the kind of the cattiness that's almost fostered in yeah. some of the locker rooms that she's been in. It's like they wanted you at each other's throats. Like, but I... she refuses to take part in that. She loves all the women she's worked with. She has a great working relationship with all of them. I haven't heard her say a single bad word about any female wrestler. Yeah, uh, more on that in a bit, I guess. But her feud with Jackie was a really excellent idea. They brought in Jackie as like AMW's new manager, you know, because she was also a cowboy like James Storm. They had a series of really brutal matches. And this was when the women's division, for me, suddenly became must-see on TNA. Because they weren't rolling out there and having, you know, a lingerie match or whatever. She's going to face Jackie in a street fight. Or she's going to face Jackie in a cage match. And we got these now and then in WWE. You know, we did get the odd... You know, we had Victoria and Trish in a street fight on Survivor Series. And I think we had another eight years before we had another street fight. Oh, yeah. But it, it came out that TNA were saying, right, every pay-per-view or every week, you're going to get a feud with a woman and it's also going to be a stipulation match. That's we don't, so cool. And those are the stipulation matches that are for the men, you know, usually. And we, we talked about it constantly on our Patreon review series where it's like how refreshing it is for the women just to get to use the toys that have been in the men's yeah. play boxes for like 30 or 40 yeah, years. absolutely. You know, and I think that, you know, you see... Gail and Jackie working in the cage match. We saw a lot of clips from this match, and fucking hell, you know those cages weren't necessarily designed with tiny women in mind. Yeah, because Gail is like talking about when she's going up to the top to do the drop kick, and she's like, "This is impossible." I don't think any woman has ever been this high yeah. up in wrestling ever. <laughs> like you know, the front drop kick that she does. She said that that was what ended up ending her career long term though yeah it's a really impressive horrible move Brian used that as well the one where you do the drop kick off the top rope but you land flat on your back well it's kind of on the small of your back because yeah. you kind of rock backwards on yeah on, on your weight yeah. oh it just looks oh landing there all the time like no wonder I would just say if anyone ever listens to this show who is either trained to be a wrestler or is a wrestler or ever even has designs of being a wrestler we are absolutely not saying we're going to give you advice because we know nothing about oh, no. that. But I would say, listen anytime a wrestler decides in their documentary to take it aside and go, this one move I did, I regret doing it, don't do it. Yeah. Daniel Bryan has said that about the headbutt. Mm-hmm. Randy Orton said it about the crossbody. And yeah. Gail saying about the front dropkick. If these people are saying don't do these moves, they ruined my career. You know, I think it's okay maybe to do them occasionally, but it's when it's a consistent part of your repertoire, when it's expected of you every match. Yeah, you're kind of putting yourself into a certain corner there, and it's yeah, I think it's going to do untold damage long term. TNA's booking, I mean, it seems like it's this long term brilliant idea. And I remember talking to you as you were watching this kind of thing, like how grateful I was about how the women's division came to be. But it's almost like they booked themselves into a corner where they had to fucking have a women's division. Because you had Gail on the outside for so long. Yeah. And then you had Jackie on the outside as well. Then these women finally have a match and it's a fucking barn burner. It's so great. Well, it's like, you can't just have them wrestle again. You are going to have to get a division. And then they literally hired 12 women. That's they, amazing. They did like what Gail Kim called. It was the conga line where they literally said like, and here's, another, you know, here's Daphne. Here's Angelina Love. Here's Roxy Laveau. Here's ODB. And... I remember thinking at the time of WWE, a lot of the women looked very similar. Hmm. And we only watched a bit of TNA, but from ODB, Awesome Kong. I know Daphne, yeah. Daphne. I mean, this is some, a pretty diverse group of women. Yeah. Like, you know, if you wanted your blonde standard WWE cut with implants, they had plenty of those too, you know? Hmm. There was 
a very diverse group. But the best thing about it is that they brought all these women in. It was literally like, all right, Gail, you want opponents? We've scoured the world and found you 12 of the best. But the first time she ever saw Awesome Kong was on Kong's first ever match. Well, she said the first time she saw Awesome Kong in her gear. Oh, I should say in the gear. Match, which I feel is important to, to specify because when you see, and I forget her name. Kia. Kia Stevens. Yeah, because she said the first time I saw Kia, she's like, hi, I like Harry Potter and anime. Like, she's just <laughs> such a lovely nerd. Like, she looks just so kind and sweet. Like, she doesn't look scary at all. Yeah. And like, she obviously is like, like as I said, like she is a big nerd. <laughs> but then she comes out the first match she has with Gail, and Gail says, "Look at me in the ring." She literally goes, "Oh shit!" And like you would, awesome Kong is so intimidating. She's so scary. She's like a proper, proper monster. In terms of like a foundation for booking, like we're setting the scene for this entire division. There's never been anything as excellent, in my opinion, as doing this thing where it's like, Gail Kim, she's fucking awesome. She's such a great wrestler. She's unlimited potential. We've unleashed her now. WWE didn't know what they had with her. Look, 12 women from around the world. I'm sure Gail is going to have great matches. And the first thing you do is have Awesome Kong wipe the fucking floor with her. They killed Gail. Yeah. And that was amazing. Like, Gail was, like, then immediately used to put over Awesome Kong. And, like, Kong... I think has had this reverence ever since yeah. because she killed Gail Kim over and over and over again <laughs> to the point where they actually had this thing where they had like a fake sister for Gail Kim in the audience. What? Yeah, they said like they would have Kong beaten on Gail. They cut to this young girl in the crowd who'd be like, oh no, Gail, no, no, no. That wasn't Gail's sister. That was Earl Hebner's daughter. What? Who happens to be Asian as well. But fun little fact for those of you keeping score at home, that woman who would have been looking on at Gail and crying, that is the very person who Earl Hebner would have sworn the life of. Oh. So there, a little wrestling trivia. That's, uh, that's nice. But she says, like, TNA was great at this time because everyone was motivated. Everyone was very passionate. She felt that, unlike WWE, she didn't have to walk on eggshells. She could be herself. And, I mean, this is someone who I saw in two years for WWE who looked so fucking a bit nervous a lot of the time. And now she was cutting promos, talking passionately from the heart. She did really, really well as, like, kind of the top person in that division. The feud with Kong lasted six months. Really? And we'd never had a feud of women's wrestling that had lasted that long before. Seriously? The closest I can think to is Stephanie and Trish, who had three to four months. Wow. But that was kind of the backdrop of Vince McMahon yeah. having a midlife crisis, and that was the real storyline. Oh my god, that's shocking. But like, they would build it, and they'd add characters to it. You know, Kong had her kong Taraj. Then you have Gail Kim trying to team up with some of the other wrestlers. You know, we had the match from our Awesome Kong episode where Gail finally managed to beat Kong, and she was doing stuff in matches, like... Using chairs, which doesn't really happen in women's wrestling before. Evidenced by the fact she nearly killed Awesome Kong. Such a scary... <laughs> oh, God, they show it over and over again from all these different angles. And just... Christ, Awesome Kong is so tough. She just, like, takes this unprotected chair shot to the head. Just and it's fall. like... Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm fine. There's a part in one of the matches that... In one of her... I think it was her Destination X match with, with Kong... And she mentioned there was a point where they were in the crowd and she started running and she literally ran because she just saw her and got scared. Yeah. <laughs> like she legitimately suspended her own disbelief <laughs> and she's so one funny. of the wrestlers. Yeah. But like that's, I think that's shows just how good like someone like Awesome Kong is. Mm. Like a really effective character like that. 
yeah, it should be scary, even as a wrestler, even if you know what they're like in their real life and you know they're a lovely person. I mean, I think, honestly, it was the, the first time ever that I was watching women's wrestling where I felt that the main thing they wanted to get out of it was me going, holy fuck, that's some tough fucking action there. Yeah. Like, they, they can go. like As in, they made me want to feel the things I feel with any wrestling match. Mm. Except there were women involved. Unlike every other women's match I'd watched before, I felt like they kind of just wanted me to get a boner. Yeah. You know, that was the kind of the main thrust of what was happening. And that's kind of disgusting. Like I do find it quite funny how Vince McMahon cares about your boner. Like, yeah, he right? really cares a lot about your boner, doesn't I, he? I love the idea of those, like, all-male writing rooms where they're, like, talking about how the bra. How can we get these yeah. kids boners yeah like what, what, what could we do what stipulate i live in the uh, fly on the wall and they kick around the old stipulations like, like they have know? this flip chart and there's a big erect penis on it and it's like hmm synergy <laughs> Arrows, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they put a lot of thought into it joe but i think what's interesting is that you know, the, the feud with kong was in 100 in her mind in gail's mind it was a test to see if the knockouts division could work hmm. because a lot of these women who they had signed in inverted commas were getting very little money per appearance deal. Like, they weren't on a, an actual contract per se. Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of, like, quite stressful in a sense. The fact that, you know, Kong, is this her first time on US TV? She obviously had worked in Japan before. But, like, with Gail, this is, like, a lot of this is on you. You're the one person here who actually has WWE exposure and national exposure. And if it, it doesn't work and it falls flat with you, mm. well, then pretty much all these women, other than maybe Jackie, are probably going to lose their jobs. Because yeah, we won't have a division then anymore. Yeah. She said the feud with Kong took a year off of her career. What? Yeah, just from the bumps that she took and the physicality of it. And every time she mentions Kong, she said, I had to bring it. Yeah. Well, she she specifies that because Kong came from, you know, the Japanese circuit, mm. that she was used to wrestling a certain hard-hitting style. Mm. Like, in Japan, the style of wrestling is a lot more physical than in, like, the US. Yeah, and I think she definitely brought... That, that became incorporated into the style in, in TNA for the women. Yeah. Like there was an expectation that they would start to you know hit a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it was Gail wanted to keep up. You know, she knew that she was from a WWE background. She was not as much of a long-term wrestler as Kong was. You know, yeah. Kong had been wrestling for a lot longer. She'd been trained in Japan even, as well as, like, wrestling the circuits there. So I think she wanted to be able to keep up and be on the same wavelength as someone like Kong. Which yeah. is, like, that's really impressive because, as we just said, Kong had loads of training. She was trained by Aja Kong. Yeah, I mean, Kong definitely was not a typical wrestler for the women's division and the fact that I, I think that was one of the smartest things I think Dutch Mantel was the person who, who who thought to bring her in I think just having such an attraction like that it made everyone raise their game I mean not, that's not necessarily 100% positive because you know raising the game meant that things like a lot of injuries happened around this time yeah you know uh, Gail ruptured four implants in her career isn't Kong's finisher. finisher's called the implant buster now I wasn't able to find out if that's directly related oh. But yeah, I mean, it, anyway, concussions as well. There's a story around the time, I, I think I told you earlier before we recorded about one of the weapon shots on, on Jackie she used and she knocked out Jackie's front teeth. Ah! And Jackie, this is how fucking tough Jacqueline is, folks. Jacqueline was backstage and she had her teeth, front teeth knocked out and because it was TNA and they were doing double back-to-back -back bookings, yeah. she said, well, I have to go back out because I have to manage again later. She got a big bit of chewing gum, stuck it and pretended them to be her front teeth and no one noticed. So, like, that's pretty badass. Oh, my God. I mean, this, wow. is, this is, like, kind of experimental stuff with the wrestling company that I love seeing. I love seeing when they're trying new things and they're doing it, like, you know, 
putting themselves out there. Because TNA, you know, as I said, it had been on pay-per-view. Then they managed to get onto actual TV, but they only had an hour at a time. And then they were finally getting those two hours, and it felt like the women were going to be a huge part of that. And they were. The women drew the biggest ratings wow. every single week. They had Sting. They had Kurt Angle, they God. had the Dudley Boys, they had Rhino, they had Jeff Jarrett, they had all these big names in the past, and everyone was tuning in to see these kick-ass women kick-ass. And so were you watching TNA at this time? Oh yeah, I was watching big time, yeah. And you were watching because of the women's division? If I was saying the only reason I was watching was the women, I'd be lying, because mm. there were a lot of people, I, mean, I was the target audience of like, hey, remember this person who's not in WWE anymore? Ah, I want to see Christian, you know? Right. <laughs> but I... I adored the women's division. Yeah. Like, I, I was really, really invested in it, like, hugely. And they managed to have a wide variety of characters who had all different feuds going on. They brought in, you know, tag team championships and stuff like that long before. And I'm not saying it was all perfect and there weren't problems along the way. There were, but it was fucking earnest and it was different. And it was, as Gail said, the first time that you were seeing women's wrestling where it wasn't either titillation or... Like in WWE, as it was becoming the bathroom break. Yeah. She said she'd look out into the audience in WWE and just see people on their phones and stuff, you know? Well, I guess, yeah. Oh, God. What the fuck is that? Like, I've done stand-up and I've seen someone and they're like, you know, talking to someone and it fucking ki- it kills me. Yeah, and you're not like putting your body on the line. <laughs> Those of you listening at home, pay attention. Otherwise, <laughs> we will become obsessed. So, I think it's worth pointing out, you know, we have done, I'd say, Kim's greatest match from this period. That's on the Awesome Kong episode. Another one I wanted to see so you could see some more of the women that she was feuding with at the time. This is from Destination X 2008, as Awesome Kong took on Gail Kim and ODB. Joe, ODB, have you ever seen her before? No, never. What were your thoughts to ODB, whose name stands for, and this is exactly how I found out, on pay-per-view, Don Westwood went, Well, you know our name stands for Mac and Tim. It's one dirty bitch. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? We're not on Spike TV anymore, Mr. Today. <laughs> I love her gimmick. We need more rowdy women in wrestling, I think. Yeah, she's kind of got like a Sandman, Session Moth Martino yeah, vibe going Session on. Moth Martino was absolutely what my mind went to when I saw this. Yeah. yeah. This match gets pitted as beauty versus brawn versus beast. <laughs> Say versus beef. Versus beef. <laughs> ODB is beefy. Yeah, that's One dirty true. beef. One dirty beef. <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth pointing out as well that like TNA was kind of having its cake and eating it as well because you were still getting the calendars, the photo shoots, the sexy DVDs. They, right. were, they were still marketing them like the divas. So were they doing that with like with people like Gail Kim and Awesome Kong not and ODB Kong, and No Kong, but ODB and and Gail and and them. Yeah, they they did. Yeah, they were doing calendars and all and that sort of them. How tasteful were they? Because like this is something I've talked about. I think I actually talked about in my Q and A that's coming out this oh, month. Yeah. Uh, oh, that... folks, Joe does a video Q and A now for ten dollar backers on Patreon. Check it out. <laughs> you can see my nose get slowly very very red. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's something I feel quite strongly about, which is as we move further and further away from the objectification and the sexualization of women's wrestling mm. that really happened in this sort of era, I would love to come to a place where wrestlers of all genders can mm. do sexy photo shoots. Because, you know, we talked about this very first AEW yeah. pay-per-view and then Brandy Rhodes had like the swimsuit collection and we were like, by all means... Send out your women. But, you know, you're not telling me I'm seeing Hangman Adam Page's big horse cock in a Speedo. Come on. Out you pop now. Come on. Give it to me. (laughs) Give it to me. 
okay? I'm a bisexual woman who wants to see all the hunks of all the genders, okay? Give me that sexy hunk content. I feel my thoughts on this have evolved a bit in in a few years, Mm. mainly from... You know, as opposed to listening to my male friends, mm. listening to my listening to the actual women themselves who are in the company, mm. and it's something that Maria Kanellis has talked about, and Gail Kim has talked about as well. And that, as damaging as the divas branding was, there was an element when they were doing things like photo shoots and stuff that this was an opportunity to get your character over. Exactly. You know, I'll never forget, for instance, when I, like Melina had to do one of those sexy Christmas photo shoots. And all of our pictures are her with, like, Cole pulling a pouty face. It's like, you got your character over in a fucking sexy Santa photo shoot. See, I remember when I first, first got into wrestling, WWE actually did. Because it was around the time of the whole give divas a chance hashtag. And I think they were in a weird place where they kind of, they didn't know what to do with their women. And they didn't know kind of how much to sexualize their There will still roster. be photo shoots, but it's them wearing, like, you know... The nice collection from Boohoo. You know, yeah. And they actually did a photo shoot with the men, a sexy photo shoot. And really? they only did it one, I think it was one Christmas. And it was only like, it was like Fernando. It was, I think Cesaro was in there. Like it was all the type of wrestlers that you can see being like, oh yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Hell yeah. And that's exactly what I, I love. Some people find it empowering and stuff like yeah. that. I think it's just... I'm not just... saying it's for everyone. Absolutely, it should not be for everyone. It's only for people who want to do it and want to make some extra money. Yeah, it can be on your your website, or it can be. Uh, it doesn't have to be front and center on TV. And I think like TNA did a much better job at like kind of like what they would do is they would have their matches on TV, and then you have a little thing at the bottom saying the knockouts calendar is coming out as well. I think they liked that term knockouts because they were saying, look how badass they are in the ring. Then go onto the website, give us some money if you want to see them in you know lingerie or bikinis or whatever mm. like that so i think they were kind of doing it from a marketing standpoint where they kind of were getting to have their cake and eat it because they were showing better women's wrestling yeah. we weren't having pillow fights and yeah. stuff like that but we were having like pillow fight photo shoots yeah that's fine i mean i think i mean it would be better if the men were doing but it that's well. it i think i think it's just the fact that it's only the women that's like ah okay it's a sentiment that seems to be growing a lot online i think mm. we've mentioned here a few times and I think that I, I, I myself may have been guilty of kind of like wanting this kind of Puritan thing where like, no, no one should be objectified in wrestling. Mm. They're there to be wrestlers and that's that. See, I just believe that wrestling... But I, I, I don't believe that anymore, I don't think. To me, one of the things that really got me into wrestling was the fact that it's it's sexy. Mm. Like, everyone is You wearing... can't avoid it, folks. No, it's a physical sport where everyone gets hot and sweaty. They don't wear much clothing. Everyone's got this cool look and they speak cool and they have gimmicks and it's just... Like, uh, but it's... I counter to you, though, that lots of kids watch it yeah. and lots of people who don't want... They don't want anything salacious or sexy on the TV. Saying... They don't want that. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'm not saying that sexy has to be in wrestling. I'm saying that wrestling can be sexy. So like church and state. We can yeah. still have a happy country, yeah. but the two things need to operate independently yeah. of one another and shouldn't interfere in each other's affairs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't I don't want pillow fights or gravy bowl matches, but I would love to see more wrestlers of all genders being able to show off their bodies in photo shoots or fashion magazines. I think or Finn whatever. Balor has, has done a lot for this movement. Exactly. He really has. <laughs> Interesting that, yeah. So we are here looking at the tail of the tape, which is something that TNA used to do before their big matches, which I absolutely love. Where they just give you like kind of three bullet points telling you this is what the story is here. And if the story is just it's a mismatch, they'll tell you why it's a mismatch. Or something has happened in the build up to this. You know, and then here they tell you that Kong and Kong and Gale have feuded a lot. 
Gale has Kong's number, they think, and ODB's the wild card. So, we're going into our first Gale match here, and I will say something that made me very excited to watch Gale, and we watched a bunch of matches that we've not necessarily taken notes for, because we were between a rock and a hard pace of Gale Kim's, like, do not watch any of my WWE <laughs> stuff. But also, I, I, we watched, like, a lot of, like, stuff that she had done on Superstars, those few, like, singles matches she had, where we actually got to see her, you know, wrestle a bit. Mm. But, you know, she said in WWE she never got time, and she never got a story, and here we've got both. And I'm always excited to watch Gail wrestle in TNA, because Gail is one of the few wrestlers that we've done an episode on, male or female, well, you're almost guaranteed every time you see a wrestle, she's going to pull out something new. Yeah, that's so cool. What an innovator. You think of people who do that, and it's a short list, mm -hmm. you know? And even people who can do that, like Ricochet, even in WWE, you find them get put into their little, like, you do your four yeah. or five spots. Yeah. Gail is unpredictable, and she is athletic as fuck, and I love, love, love seeing her against someone giant like Kong. I'll never get old of it. Yeah. It's one of the purest feuds in wrestling. So we have these two women trying to gang up on awesome Kong. But Kong's got backup. Her problematic manager, Raisha Saeed. Who's wearing another hideous outfit. Yeah. I just... Oh. Hey, white women, if you're going to go with Nick and Burke, like, Can you do on. it well, please? please? Can you make it a nice one? Not one that looks like you're on Nintendo Power Magazine saying you're undefeated <laughs> in Pokemon with your flame prints. It was like two different outfits worn at the... It's just so bad. It's, 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 qu it's quite poor. I would say with Gail, Gail's got surprising strength. Like, yes. you know, she is throwing herself 100% into all of these moves. I want to say it's, like, reckless, but, like, it reminds me of Brian where there's a believability there that I feel like they're throwing everything into this move to hurt their opponent. Yes. And if they get hurt a little bit, that's okay. But, mm. you know, so many times you see people and they feel like they stop short of following through on the move. They're going to yeah. go protect themselves. Like, yeah, yeah. Hang on a second. And Slightly hesitant. Like... Ain't no bracing with Gail Kim. No you know? way. She, she's, she's stood up and then she's straight down to the fucking ground and she's taking a bump. Uh, and also, I would say that Gail seems smaller than she actually is. How do you mean? In that she kind of, she keeps quite low to the ground sometimes. There's lots of dives, there's lots of dips, and she's always kind of mobile. Yeah. I think just the fact that she's historically been put in there with Awesome Kong, mm. I do feel, I view her as being like a kind of a small, punchy little wrestler. Well, I suppose in comparison to Awesome Kong, she would seem a lot smaller. And like yeah. ODB as well, she's a large woman. What do you think of ODB's offense? Like, I style? love it. It's like proper brawl style. Like it's, it's what I would hope when I look at her and see her gimmick. It's exactly the style I would want to give her. Except she, like, touches either her vagina, butt, or boob after every offensive yeah, maneuver. That's fine with me. Uh, yeah, if Sandman started, like, touching his dick every time he hit a move, I wouldn't have been cool no. with that. Like, that's, <laughs> no. You're problematic enough as it is, Sandman. No. <laughs> Gail hits a fucking spear, and it's an absolute Bobby Dazzler. Is this the one she does on Kong? Yeah. And, like, it's like a Goldberg proper. Like, she really <laughs> incredible. knocks her over, like... Like, considering how small Gail is compared yeah, to Kong... It's believable. She really knocks the shit out of her. <laughs> she does. She absolutely does. And I would say Kong and Kim, watching this, there is a serious, like, Cactus Jack Invader vibe to Interesting. it. Interesting. Where it's just like, there's this person who's like can't be knocked off their feet and then there's someone who will literally kill themselves just yeah. to inflict any damage I think Gail's size in my mind comes in with her selling as well she's a very effective seller so good at selling a lot of sympathy in there with Gail's yeah. face even though I think she's probably a slightly more effective heel Gail keeps getting tiny little scraps of hope 
and she does things like avoiding moves that she's been decimated with in the past like when Kong goes for the back fist and she does the counter combo breaker I like that a lot <laughs> there's one move in particular which I absolutely loved and I think it was another one of those innovative moves where she's just kind of like trying something new is this a top spot Joe? this is a top spot it's Gail using ODB as a stepladder to kick Awesome Kong in the head. That's brilliant. It's so cool. <laughs> and then the match elevates as ODB takes out a flask. They both have a drink and it makes ODB and Gail Kim rowdy and cooperative. <laughs> which didn't happen when I took out my hip flask the last time. I don't know what's going on here. Double missile dropkick. Beautiful. We get a roll-up as Kong is powerbombing Kim. And then a massive splash to Gale. And then the implant buster to ODB. And again, busted implants is a thing in wrestling. Yeah. And it's one of those injuries that you find out less about. Like, I found Gale mentioned the the four ruptures, like, once. It's interesting, because I I imagine it's one of those things that kind of, like, women are really discouraged to talk about. Because I bet there's so many, like, male people who are like... Oh, well, she shouldn't have got implants then if you didn't want them to erupt or whatever. But I mean, like... yeah, Billy Kay, who recently had breast enhancements, she had breast augmentation, and like the the hate and the bile online from, from fans as a result. As if it's not an industry that literally rewards you for having larger breasts. Interesting, though, about that. What Do you ever wonder about like WWE if they say, like, go get boob, go get a boob job? Like, do you think they do that? Or, like, go get a nose job or go get your, your lips done or whatever? I don't think... Because JR was asked about this recently yeah. in a podcast. And he's like, the only thing I'll say is this. Do you think WWE as a publicly traded company would be so stupid as to say, you, we're telling you to go have an electric yeah, surgery? Yeah, I just don't think they would do it like that. Because if they told them to have the surgery and then anything went wrong with the surgery, they're yeah, liable, they're liable. Like, huge. But I think there probably is a bit of like, you know, sitting down with maybe someone like Vince or someone a bit senior and kind of chatting through about your character and like, you know, where you want to go and like, where do you see your character going and like, how do you like your look at the do moment? Do you envision them having a bigger chance Like, you know, ha- are you happy with how things are? Are you happy with your appearance? Is there anything you'd want to change? You know, like you could tweak this or that. Like, well, what I they've think said might... is that if someone came to them and said, I want to do this, yeah. but I don't have the money, that they would give them the money really? and help them pay it back. That's like. so cool. Like, so, yeah. I think so long as they're not like telling people go off and get a nose job or go off and get breast implants and because that is that's really gross it the, shouldn't be done the one thing i will say if someone is going to have plastic surgery in wrestling i want to kayfabe it like recently when alaya who's had a nose job hmm. they did a thing where she got her face kicked by mia yim and she was like my nose and then she's going to come back with a different nose i Excellent. think if i was a wrestler and i was asked this at my q and i couldn't come up with a good gimmick but my gimmick i think would be uh that i had gone and got lots of plastic surgery and I would and no one's allowed to attack you as a result yeah so I would like be very transparent about getting I'd get W to pay for it all and then I would like just brag about how all my cosmetic surgery had been covered by the billion dollar company and if you are at home grumbling about plastic surgery I can reveal to you that I have had an incredibly large amount of it done because my head got split open when I was a young boy and the only reason I'm the handsome man you see before me is because of a very talented plastic surgeon hell yeah so I'm pro plastic surgery this is a pro cosmetic surgery household yeah fucking horrible powerbomb to ODB where she literally lifts her up so high she like almost drops her over the back of her head yeah Kong picks up the win in this very physical match that made me very nostalgic for TNA physical physical I mean I'm I'm allowed to use that word for this match because it was actually physical (laughs) I'm not using it to compensate that there's two boring lads I don't know in the ring (laughs) 
What do you think of this one, Joe? I love this match. It was really, really good fun. It, yeah, it's a bit short, but mm. I think that's always going to be a problem with women's wrestling at this time, and yeah. even in TNA. You know, it was just the fact that the pacing was so good, and you had so many cool moves. Yeah, I would much rather that, and it be short and sweet, than it to be yeah. like no good moves at all. And you're not allowed to throw punches or go over the top rope or whatever. And I think we've been dis- longer discussed at length before. At length does not necessarily like indicate quality of no, match definitely not but i think it's they've shown here that it's more about the opportunity of getting like the fact that they got to you know just have a really kick-ass triple threat yeah where it wasn't like you know it was they were doing sequences and moves that were just as physical as if they were they were doing like the types of moves and spots that you would expect to see in a men's match yeah and you know what else you've got really three really diverse women like yeah. in terms of like body shape sizes race ethnicity like style style absolutely like you just got such a great diverse like even though there's only three of them you've got like more diversity in these three women's wrestlers than you normally do in like a six women tag like match or whatever in WWE I think honestly you can look back at a lot of women's rosters I mean, WWE obviously has such a large women's roster, it's not particularly fair, mm. but like a women's roster of women who are appearing on TV and being utilised. You look at the TNA roster from like 05 to 08 or 09 or thereabouts, they had a real fucking great selection of people there, like, mm. and they did a really good job with them. Joe, star rating for this triple threat encounter. Loved it, gave it four stars Woo. out of five. Very good match. Definitely one to recommend if you want to watch more Gail Kim or ODB or Awesome Con. And I will say, a lot of these matches and... TNA are quite good at this, or Impact, I should say. They put up a lot of their classic matches, and you can see a lot of great Gail Kim content for free on YouTube wow. on, their, on their page. We'll put some recommended bonus viewing up on HowToWrestling.com. So, unfortunately, as is often the case with women at the time, there was total pay bullshit, as it could best be described. Uh. So Gail had described that when she first signed with WWE, she got, like, you get what you get. You know, she had skills, so she got decent pay. Mm. As they moved on to that more kind of hiring the women from the binders set of affairs, they paid them less because part of your pay was your training. Right. So I can give you 50 grand a year, but you're going to learn how to become a wrestler and you might make 100 grand a year in two years' time. Okay. So the women, generally speaking, in wrestling were being paid less and less and less at the moment. But the women in TNA, considering I told you earlier, you know, they were main eventing impacts, mm. highest rated segments, selling loads of merchandise over in that... What, however objective that is a, as a measure of anything, they were over. Yeah. And we talked in, in Awesome Kong about this. Some of them were working in the fucking sunglasses hut. Oh, you know? it's so fucking... You said ODB worked in a bar. Yeah, ODB was, was tending bar down the road in, in Orlando. And I was like, the thing She, she went this... from that match to go and work a double shift type of thing, oh, you know? What the fuck is that? Hell. Like, that's just... It's just not right. When you work a physical job... You shouldn't then have to work another job where you're on your feet all the day, all day. And no else, you would never see this with a male wrestler. Can no, you imagine ever. someone holding the championship and then they have to fucking work in a sunglasses hut or whatever? It's like the, the, there's like, literally a scene in the wrestler where he's working in a supermarket and someone recognizes him. He's like, "Oh no, um, the business is being killed." Yeah. Like, oh no, yeah. Like it's so bullshit because. It, if I just entirely put on my like I don't I'm a wrestling wrestling executive hat where I don't care about the well being of any of my wrestlers, yeah. I would just say TNA from a brand standpoint, it makes you look weak yeah. and shitty when someone who you are touting and they're saying on TV 
the knockouts, the highest rates. They're yeah. talking about it. They're hyping them up. And then you're letting them work a part-time job. It makes you look bad. Yes, yeah, it does. You know, it actually, you would save money in terms of your image if yeah. you gave them a bit more. But they were on unguaranteed, like, you have women who'd have to pay for themselves to go to tapings. And it's like, sorry, we're not using you tonight. What? We'll give you $200. Oh my God. Or if that, or catering, you know, and that's, that's bullshit. And, you know, as good as the booking was... And as effective as it was at getting people over and as legendary as the feuds are now, the reality is it's bullshit. The pay that TNA did. And Gail Kim gives zero fucks about everything except for the fact that she is a producer for Impact and she does give a fuck about the company mm. and she does not bury them in this regard. Right. Which, for me, you know, I've listened to some earlier interviews with her and she was quite salty about this. Yeah, I'm sure. Because she went to them and said, okay, contract's up. When I first signed, there was no women's division. I've just had some of the greatest matches in history with Kong. We've got a division. I'm the top star. I'm the champion. Let's negotiate. And she thought they were just playing hardball. And then her lawyer was like, no, they are literally not budging. They will not give you any more money. So they were going to offer the same money stupid. for doing what she's doing there, for being in the corner of a, of a six-man tag, you know? It's ridiculous. For matches that were, like, taking years off her life. And the TNA is a company I've said at the start had a lot going for it, but I've mentioned the word mismanagement. Mm. And how do you let Gail Kim go back to the WWE? And then Awesome Kong as well. Like They lost them both within, like, a year or wow, two of this. Wow, that is so shocking. And Gail was not happy. She did not want to go back to WWE. There is a quote here from Gail from the shoot interview that I had about when she had to sign. I bowled my eyes out for two days straight. Jeez, poor Gail. What the fuck? She just wants financial stability. That's all it is. Yeah. She And if she can't get that... And she's like one of the best. She's she's the WWE X star. Like yeah. She's the tippity-top crown jewel of the knockouts division. And you're basically saying to the entire women's division, none of you are worth fucking shit. Yeah. I, I hate that. And why are they doing that? Because they're saving up to give to bring in Hogan, Bischoff, Angle, Sting, whoever it is they need to pay big money to. Right, of course. So that's kind of horrible. She's brought back to WWE and it's kind of sad her return to WWE because she's like, she didn't want to go, but like the writers meet with her and they're like, we are so excited to have you back. <laughs> yeah, she mentions that like she arrived at the oh Stanford Connecticut yeah. headquarters and she was greeted there by Shane McMahon who said welcome home ironically Shane was literally just leaving for a long long time <laughs> what a bad omen when Shane McMahon gives you the welcome back speech <laughs> on his way out the door fucking hell like yeah it, it it was very apparent very quickly they had no idea for her like we watched an interview with Gail where, they, where she was shown her like top five moments as voted for by fans and one of them was like her return to WWE she's like I have no memory of this and like I have no memory of it either because remember they brought her back they had her lay out like Michelle McCool and a few women then she was in like 12 women tags for then until the end of her run and they mentioned in this documentary that she was actually on the WWE at the same time as Awesome Kong right yes and they did nothing with that no, feud. They did nothing at all. I remember at the time I was like, I thought they hired Kong because they had hired Gale. Yeah. And me here, stupid fucking idiot, going, well, they're obviously holding back on Gale until Kong's here and then they can have the matches and then they'll blow everyone's mind. Nah, they didn't even have a match. They didn't have an encounter, nothing. Which, like, sounds really sad, but Gale actually 
specifically says how happy she is that they never did anything <laughs> with that fuck feud. It up, like. Didn't fuck it up. Exactly. They could have ruined it, and they probably would have ruined it because it's WWE in two thousand what eleven, two thousand ten, two thousand ten. Yeah. So. So they probably would have fucked it up. They would have absolutely. But I mean, she got really great money when she was in WWE, and she'd also said, you know, now she was older, she knew her value more, she yeah. was able to actually, you know, get what she was worth, but. WWE has always had this problem of like, you know, money's no object. In 2020, the amount of wrestlers who it's like, I have been on TV in like six months, but I just signed a five-year extension because I'm in my 40s and I need money, you know? Like, they will pay you. Pay's not an issue. Whether they'll use you is another Mm. thing. And just because they'll pay you a lot doesn't mean they will use you. You You know, they don't care about that. They'd rather pay you and you not be somewhere else, you know, than, than actually utilize you. And she says at this point she was back on eggshells, even though she'd had all these matches and she felt she'd proven herself in the industry and she was touted as being one of the best women's wrestlers in the world and one of the best wrestlers they had on the roster, full stop. And then point in the interview when she said, what's the problem? Am I too Asian? Oh. And here's the thing as well, we, we touched on this before, the bit about, you know, she said the stereotyping that goes on in WWE and she has opinions on this yeah. you know because every six months on both of our runs they would ask her do you speak Korean and like every time she'd be like no I don't speak Korean I didn't grow up speaking Korean I wish I did speak Korean I, don't, I haven't learned in the, I last, learned six the last six months, months. Yeah. Last ass. but why do you think they would want Gail Kim speaking Korean probably because they want her to do the typical foreign language talk in a foreign language and get heat the heel gimmick like they do with everyone when they're doing their hometowns after she returns you know she's from toronto canada mm. you know as she had been called for the last like four or five years of her career and then the writers go to her uh, this, this i couldn't believe this i think is one of the most racist things yeah i've ever heard in wrestling and that's saying something i mean gail kim's a is is a is a whistleblower in many respects yeah. and i think she's called her to be out to task on this several times mm. very publicly but like they go to her and they said we don't think you're from you look like you're from toronto canada which is like i mean that's offensive no matter where she was from yeah but like the fact that toronto is a incredibly diverse multicultural well, that's what she said. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, city yeah go go watch anthony bourdain in toronto there's a there's a lot of diversity there yeah like there is and, and then they go, well, how about we say San Francisco and say, because San Francisco has a more, like, immediately obvious Asian population. Oh, and sake. then they go with, like, Honolulu, Hawaii. And, like, oh, and you go to no. me, why is that? And I go, I don't know, because Ricky Steamboat's from there. I don't fucking know. Like, it's so fucking racist. It's so racist. It's, oh, Jesus Christ. So, Gail is not having a good time. She's lost. She says, you know, the few matches that she had that, you know, they were on things like Superstars. And I, I, we never watched like Gillian Hall and her on Superstars and her and Beth on Superstars. And it's kind of sad for like, to see her like, we had really good matches there and go back and you watch like a five minute, like fine match, which by today's standards seems like nothing really. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's, it's actually good that the standard has come on in WWE's presentation of women's wrestling. So she threatens to quit saying, you've no ideas for me. You tell me to pitch ideas. I'm pitching ideas every week. Apparently they kept cutting her time and taking her out of angles and like yeah. every spot that she was supposed to be involved with they then remove her from and she change like, it. The last time she was with the company in her first run like she literally started the storyline then the following day she was fired. Wow. So you know like they don't want to give her stories she, she threatens to quit though she says i don't know if they like strong outspoken women in the wwe which know. is so true have you ever heard of someone called becky lynch <laughs> don't get much more outspoken than that guys and she had to literally call herself the man to be accepted <laughs> but like 
She threatens to quit and then they put her in a storyline. Like, the fuck? Yeah. Like, that shouldn't happen in wrestling. You shouldn't have to threaten to leave to get him to do anything. It's, and uh... the storyline she gets is one that we touched on a little bit in our Deep Ryan episode where Vince McMahon thinks that well, it's Daniel Bride. I mean, he hasn't got a TV. He's vegetarian. He doesn't even use social media. Like, what kind of a man is Daniel Bryan? So I don't know. I'm going to put her with... I'm going to put him with Gail Kim because she's sexy. And then the Bella Twins, they're going to come in because they're sexy. And then everyone's <laughs> going to think Daniel Bryan's the cat that got the cream. See, it's Vince. He's, he's thinking about your boner again. He is. He's, he's always about... got it on his mind. Because, like, I like... Like, when I think of Daniel Bryan, you know, being courted by three women, I get a little... A little... Yeah. <laughs> How can I make this about my boner again? Yeah, right? This is the most ridiculous case of, like, misplaced interest. Like, when yeah. Vincent Man takes an interest and it's not a good thing. Because no. Brian in all these segments is, like, looking like he's having to pretend to be in love with three women. Yeah. And they have to fight each other. Funnily enough, Gail actually says, like, her favourite moment of her return run were the cat fight she did with the Bellas. Really? Because they do things, like, where she'd be, like, kissing Brian and Bri and Nikki be like, Oh my god, Gail, what are you doing? Brian, our boyfriend. And then they'd have a big fight. But she said she loved it because Nikki and Brie were like, let's just make it really real. And they just fucking pull you, they beat That's the shit so out of cool. each other. You go watch those, like, and Brian's there, like, kind of like, whoa, shit. And they're like, boom, beating the fuck out That's of each other. That's awesome. See, this is why the Bellas deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, like, here's some shitty stuff that happened. Like, she's, like, meant to be Brian's squeeze. And Brian, like, the idea is the Bellas are heels and Brian should be with Gail because Gail's a great wrestler like Brian. They've loads in common. Okay. So Gail's going to be in Brian's corner. And she's like, every house show, they'd have me and, Brian, me and Brian come out together. I'd be in his corner. I'd be his manager. I wouldn't do much other than kind of, like, you know, clap and, like, smile and wave at him <laughs> and such. What a fucking waste. <laughs> but here's the thing. It comes to TV, right? They're on a Raw and she's meant to come out and be in Daniel Bryan's corner, yeah. you know, as the manager. And it says all afternoon, you know, Daniel Bryan with Gail Kim versus whoever. And Bryan comes out with Gail and they walk out together, you know, waving to the crowd, holding hands. And Gail stands in the corner for around a minute or two. And then the referee gets something in his earpiece and turns to Gail. This is live on Raw, folks. Mm. There's a match happening. Gail has just stood there. He goes, you have to leave. <laughs> what? You have to leave. Why? You're not meant to be here. What? Why? You're not meant to be here. You have to leave now. And Gail's like, all right, I mean... I mean, man, I, I can stay. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not green. Like, is it not her job to be there? No, no, you have to leave now. So in the middle of TV, like, they go to commercial break, they come back, and Gail's just gone. And they, wow. don't, they don't mention it on commentary. Nothing is brought up to it. It's just Gail is not there anymore. And they went backstage, and apparently what had happened was that Vince and them had changed their mind during the day whether or not to have Gail come out with Brian. And then they decided, nah, let's not do that. It doesn't work. But they didn't, didn't but tell they, anyone. They forgot to tell her. Right, cool. But like, she just said that she was so felt so disrespected because she was at that point like a seven-year veteran. Yeah. And you can't trust me to stand in one place on yeah. TV? Like, say nothing of her wrestling ability. She's not an idiot. Yeah. Like, you'd n- I could do that. It's so insulting. It's, it's very, very, like dispiriting if you're just told to fucking walk away yeah like you're not allowed to play like you're not allowed, you're part of this like if you've ever been an extra and someone taps you on the shoulder saying you don't need you in this scene it's a long walk back mm. like and this is just so insulting because you're paying her six figures to do this folks so, yeah like, come on she said she had one match that she liked from wwe on her return and that was her and daniel bryan taking on melina and tyson kids 
For the first time ever on Haichi Wrestling, we're coming to you live from WWE Superstars, which was not available on the network, so I had to find the old videos where they used to post it on YouTube back in the day. So, uh, yeah, Gail's not prominently featured on the network, folks. Why is that? Probably because she keeps calling them racist and sexist. Oh, well, I mean, you know. shouldn't be racist and sexist, then. Is that right? Problem? What did you think of this 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 uh, pairing of, of these people here? Were you excited for this match? Not especially. I mean, I was intrigued to see Gail Kim with Daniel Bryan, because obviously they're both very good wrestlers. These are some dream teams right here. I was... Excited to see Tyson Kidd again, even yeah. though his horrible hair makes him look like the fairy liquid baby. <laughs> it's made of flesh. It's really disgusting. Yeah, that, that, that didn't gel with you very well. No. And I've heard of Melina. Palpable awkwardness with Brian and Gail when they came out. Yeah. Like, they did not want to hold hands and be boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> It was so bad. It's a real shame they were made to be boyfriend and girlfriend because I feel like them being paired up could have worked really well. It's just like them being friends. friends. It would have been great. But like, it's so weird that in WWE you don't really get male-female friendships. It's really not accepted. I mean, I can think of an AEW like Rio and Kenny Omega. Yeah. Like, they have that kind of like mentorship and stuff. But in WWE, it's mm, like... It's, it's rare. Yeah. It's, it's really rare. I'm sure that it has happened. Less common. Really, like, unlike, really uncommon. I like that they use double team moves that utilize both the men and the women together. Yeah. Daniel Bryan uses Gale as a projectile weapon at some point, and it's fucking fantastic. I mean, this was very, like, prototypical mix-match challenge. To think that this was, like, what year was this from? 2011. Yeah, I mean, this was, like, really, really cool. Like, when I see mix-match challenge these, you know, when it's on these days, this is the type of stuff that I really get excited about. Mm. Like, if it's it's a shame that Gail came back in here when women's wrestling was just like, you know, this is the post-PG era where they yeah. actually cared about them even less. It was odd, though. We did see a lot of times where Gail was still made to, like, wear pajamas or, like, bathing suits and stuff like that. It's so strange because, like, they've clearly kind of moved past the era of doing, like bra and panties matches like sexy match types no more this but is, no yeah. they are still doing sexy match types like we saw a clip of them doing a like pajama match i guess I where mean, they were like fighting with pillows they did these like themed yeah these sexy theme matches but i think when i said sexy matches i meant like literally like the the ones they always went to like resting in a fluid uh, and removing each other's clothes like that was gone but we were still getting like hey all the women's are santa's little helpers match. yeah which again i think we we were saying well hey i want to see braun Strowman in a sexy Santa has. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's gross the fact that it's only the women and that they weren't really being given proper matches at the same time. And there's 12 of them on screen and the announcers don't know their names. Yeah. You know, that kind of sucks. There's a moment on commentary where Scott Stanford says he likes Daniel Bryan. <laughs> and someone else, I couldn't identify who. Uh, Josh Matthews. Josh Matthews, right. Josh Matthews asks why and Scott replies forget his in-ring ability, it's his dating ability I'm impressed with. Yeah, I mean, I like that Daniel Bryan a lot now that he's dating women, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's what we all think of, isn't it? When we think of Daniel Bryan, the legacy. I don't agree with his vegetarian policy, but I do agree with his dating three women policy. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of getting the vibe when we were watching this that you weren't enjoying it. Oh, really? Or you didn't enjoy it as much as, like, Gail kind of saying, it's a favourite match. Yeah, I mean, this isn't... I Yeah, this was a fine match, but I wouldn't say 
It was amazing. There were a couple of moments which disappointed me. Like, what's the opposite of a top spot? A low spot? I mean, top spot is something that is entirely your creation, so only you can answer that a question. A bottom spot? I'm going to call it a bottom spot. A bottom spot. Are you a top spot or a bottom spot? Yeah. So my bottom spot of this match was when I thought Gail was going to get the hot tag. Yeah, I literally wrote here, I like how they're building the hot tag to Gail. Yeah, and then it fails as Melina comes out and screams, tag her right now! And then it's kind of like a half-hearted tag from Danny O'Brien to Gail. Way to steal the heat there, Melina. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always enjoy Melina screaming and whatnot. Yes, I love her screams. I've noted that she's both an offensive and a defensive grunter. Yeah, very, very good. Mm. Excellent. Oh, Adam Bibble will be proud of that. Thanks. Like, maybe need to send him some Melina matches mm. soon. So, I think... What I wrote down here maybe might sum up a bit. Don't blame Gail Kim. I like Daniel Bryan matches too because most of the matches Bryan doing stuff. Yeah. Gail Gail is brought in as kind of like a not set dressing, but she's brought in as like kind of she's an assist trophy, yeah. not, a, not a fighter. In the this way one. that women in these types of match these mixed matches often are, sadly. As, as Deborah once described it in two thousand and one, like being a candle to illuminate the man. Uh, Don't be a candle and illuminate. Be like Sherry. Be a spotlight and burn their faces off. Yeah, be a bonfire. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I really did enjoy this. I love some of the offense that Gail did, like when she put Melina in that submission and she hit her foot off the back of Melina's head. Oh, violent. There are some crazy submissions by Gail Kim and Melina. And Gail Kim does this amazing thing. She did in a few matches and every time she did it, you popped where she kind of spins around into like an octopus stretch, like a move that Tajiri so used to do. Cool. And like, this is no word of a lie. There was no mercy on the N64, a game we played for how-to video games way back when. Yeah. There was a move you could unlock on that called Six Second Magic, where you like climbed up on their on their shoulders and held their arm in place as they were stood up. And I gave it to like all my kind of mythical wrestlers. Because <laughs> like, I used to always joke to my friends, even at the age of 14, like no one can ever do this move actually in real life. It's a video game move. Gail Kim could do six second magic, the fucking twirling octopus stretch, and it's fucking beautiful. Wow. Is that the first instance of someone actually doing that move then? I think it was one of the things that had been done in, in Japan, probably. Because I was just wondering if like she got the idea from a wrestling video game, which I wouldn't be surprised by. The amount of wrestlers who have like admitted that like their finishers have cut like Samoa Joe with the muscle busters is a great example. Yeah. But a lot of wrestlers like I bet if you ask Johnny Gargano, like, you know, what video games he's based stuff on, like once Johnny hits that triple jump, like in Mario 64, <laughs> he's pretty much unstoppable. Like, so great reversals and some actual wrestling from the women. And then we get everyone in and everyone goes on to the top turnbuckles. Gail and Daniel do the double drop kicks, which I will say is one of the hardest things to actually do in wrestling. It really? Is, it is like the souffle of wrestling. It looks reason. very hard. Because if you time it wrong and one goes down before the other, you risk someone bumping into someone or falling on top of someone. Ooh. And that has happened. Oh. Uh, Christopher Nowinski, the Harvard uh, graduate gimmick wrestler who went on to do all the fabulous work about concussion impact studies. Yeah. And he's done incredible work that has helped the NFL and WWE and a lot of full contact sports. He was in a Royal Rumble and he got the double dropkick from Edge and Rey Mysterio. Edge came down a little bit too late and his two legs and knees landed right in his head and he couldn't wrestle ever again. Oh, jeez. He was like 22. Oh, my God. So, like, yeah, risky stuff here. High octane action. It was short. It was of the time, and I think that's worth bearing in mind. The 2011, we weren't getting a whole lot of this. Hmm. But what were your thoughts on the mixed tag? I liked it. It was a fun match. I don't know if I have much inclination to watch it again, because I feel like I didn't get to see much Tyson Kidd. 
or much Melina. Like it was mostly the Daniel Bryan show and there's better matches to watch if you want to see the Daniel Bryan show. This is what we refer to in wrestling as a nice little match. Yeah, you it know, was in, a nice little match. If I'm turning on in 2011 superstars, I'm not expecting to see that. Like, yeah. And it was good. I will just say... I wanted to include this because Gail multiple times said, that's, that's you know, you want, to, you want to say WWE match I'm proud of or I liked that one. I think that just goes to show just like, you sadly, know, how how yeah. misused she was in WWE. Because the Jillian match was the other one as well that we had watched. And I don't, you know, this is the match where, with Jillian Hall, the, the lady in blue who did the dance, singing gimmick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, that was just like another nice little match. Yeah. But it's, it's sad to see people wrestling when you know they can do more like this is three years after the last match we watched and the moveset is much more contracted yeah you know ain't no punches being thrown here you know or girly offense either just seems like they were doing a lot less yeah i don't yeah. know so i mean i liked this match i gave it three stars out of five but yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily go out of my way to recommend it to anyone. Okay. So Gail finds herself in a bit of a unique situation. And this is something which most people know about Gail Kim more than anything else they know about Gail Kim. It is both an important part of her career, but also, I think, quite a small part of her career. And I do get the vibe that Gail doesn't like the big deal that this, the legend that has surrounded this business. I'm talking about Gail Kim's exit from the WWE. Very few people exit themselves in the WWE by literally leaving a match in the middle of it or at the start of it. Gail Kim's WWE career came to a somewhat unceremonious end when she eliminated herself from a battle royale in a moment that has kind of went down a bit in infamy, but rewatching it back is such like a. I want say it's a non event. But it is a bit like... Uh. I mean, I showed it to you. How many times did we have to rewind it? Over ten. <laughs> and like, the first time... Right there! And we watched it on a big screen. The first time I watched it, I couldn't even see where she was. The second time I watched it, you pointed her out to me and I actually got her mixed up with a different woman. Because everyone, like... There's 12 women in the ring. Yeah. We start off with six blonde women. Yeah. And then J.R. King, like, here come the divas. And then six brunette women come in. Yeah. Who are all varying degrees of tan. And then all the brunettes and the blondes pair off with each other. Yeah. And you don't know who the fuck anyone is. It's so confusing. I get why J.R. and King struggled a bit. The third time we watched it, I actually did tell which was J. Gail Kim, but I couldn't figure out what she did. And then we watched another five or six times. Yeah, I had to be like, oh, yeah, you see, because the women at the time, because they couldn't be too aggressive or too much like the men, they couldn't go over the top rope and battle royale. That'd be royales. too interesting. It's too, it's too masculine, you know. That, the men that might top lose rope. their boners. Yeah, exactly. When I think of that top rope, I think of big, sexy Kevin Nash or The Undertaker mm. walking over in one step. I don't want to see Gail Kim go over the top rope. No way, man. Ugh. That threatens my masculinity. <laughs> So they go to the bottom rope, which in terms of low impact, underwhelming ways for someone to say, I am no longer in a match. That's got to be it. And like, you just watch these, you should say they put 12 women out there and they said to four or five of them, you four or five need to be gone in 60 seconds. Apparently they started out with a fair bit of time. And then apparently throughout the time they were planning this match, they cut it down. They cut it down. They cut it down. They cut it down. They kept, it always kept cutting it. It got shorter and shorter and shorter until eventually it got to the point where... They were literally told, yeah, six of them, right, get out of the match within a minute. That, like, framework is, like, the constant for women at the time. Because yeah. what would happen is they'd get a match and they'd say, right, the women are going to get 20 minutes. Yeah. And then, like, entrances would be cut. Or they would, like, very often, like, 
I couldn't tell you what Gail Kim's entrance music was when she returned to WWE because she always came out with six other women. Yeah. You know, when I heard on the, uh, when we watched her and Julian, I was like, oh, yeah, I think I heard that like three times, maybe. <laughs> so the entrances go, and then it's like, right, you know, few minutes here, few minutes there. And then by the end, it comes down to like, well, just go home, like yeah. do the finish, because you've got 12 women. And you can watch any Survivor series from this period, Joe, and you will see 12 women who will come in, or 10 women, and they will come in, they'll do their finisher, eliminate someone, do a finisher, eliminate someone. There yeah. was one year they did this, and a woman did a taunt and then pinned someone. Wow. Just because there was such little time that we couldn't even do moves to get people out of the match. So Gail saying, I'm out of here, yeah. is like so not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And you know what? It's an issue that continued well into when I started watching wrestling, you know, in 2015. Mm -hmm. I think the first two years of me being a wrestling fan, I got accustomed to being to there being announced a women's match mm. and then being told yeah but don't expect it to be long you yeah. know it will be cut down and if it's not cut down it will be cut out they're, they're still guilty of that if you yeah. watch if you watch raw like yeah. the, the, the women's segments seem to get fewer and far between sometimes yeah. so yeah it's like totally understandable gail had told them beforehand like i'm going to quit like i'm done now right you know so they knew that and they they kind of didn't really take her seriously, I don't think. And even when she eliminated herself and they walked out, like JR is like, I think Gail Kim eliminated it's herself. It's so funny because she she rolls out, she she first of all, she goes on the offensive against her opponent who she's got in the corner, and then she just ducks down, rolls out of the bottom of the ring, and then goes, Way! Yeah, I love that she raised <laughs> her hands up in the air, like that's I'm the free! best. It's Nicole Kidman divorcing Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely like I, I I wish the camera was on her because I was like fucking so happy for yeah. her. And I remember this was like, what, 2011 or thereabouts. This would have been really way back when Twitter was first an issue. Mm. And I remember like, it was the first time seeing on Twitter people like melt down because people were like, how fucking dare she? I'm so she surprised. only has a career because of them. And there was other people as well, like me, who were like, fuck yeah, fuck the WWE, good job. I'm so surprised anyone even noticed. I mean, that was the first couple of hours of people going, wait, did Gail do this? Because he didn't have YouTube you yeah. know, to get it immediately or didn't have people posting clips straight away. And it was 2011. But yeah, it was one of these things I think because people then heard about it happening but they didn't see it. It then became, you know, Gail Kim, you know, fucking did a springboard planche and said, I'm out of here, fuckers. And wrote, eat pussy on the Titan Tron when she left. <laughs> it's it's, so cool. She didn't do that. She just kind of excused herself from the match and the company. Yeah. And she said as well, she only did it because it had literally no bearing on anything. Didn't impact the finish. Any of the women in the match, the story of the match, the story of any of the characters or lack thereof of any of the women in the ring. And he was really funny about this as well, like just to show how expendable and disposable she was in their mind. They had replaced her with Eve Torres in the Daniel Bryan love triangle Ugh. anyway. So like, what the fuck? That's so fucking ridiculous. So like, I would say the second run is so much worse than the first run. Because even in the first run, there was a sense that because they had hired her because she had a unique look and they yeah. had given her a unique gimmick. And they at least pushed her. I mean, they gave her the women's championship. Yeah. I mean, say nothing of the timing of it or yeah. whatever. But like in the second one, second run, she is just another woman. Yeah. You know, I, I would almost go as far as to say like, in, in spite of the fact that there was a lot of obvious racism, like her race and her unique identity seemed to be a non-factor at all because it didn't seem like it was of any use or value to them. And she specifies, and I really admire her for saying this as well, because like she, she's obviously got such a smart head on her shoulders. She says, like, what? why? Do they hate money? 
Like, yeah. here, here she is, an, an interesting, unique-looking, diverse woman who is a great wrestler, great awesome on the mic, on your great character, and you just aren't doing anything with her? Like, she will make you money She'll if you book She'll do whatever. Her she would have done whatever they yeah. asked her to do. She like. was a huge draw. One of the best draws at TNA, and yet you're going to do nothing with her in WWE. I always wondered, and this is difficult because, like, when it comes to things like TNA and outside companies, you know, like we talked about the Foley episode how Vince mm. like never watched ECW. Yeah. Didn't, like Vince doesn't watch other companies. But I know the writers and the producers they do. do. Yeah. And I always wondered if there was something in their head that like pushing someone who became a star on TNA reflected poorly on them. Mm. Like we didn't know the, how they were a star and they somehow figured it out. But we're proving now that she's not a star and they're just idiots. Childish. And like, I'm not saying Vince McMahon is like going, well, she was in TNA, so bury her. But I think the sycophants and the yes men would have probably derailed her career a bit. Yeah. There's no reason she should have had as underwhelming a second run as she did. Yeah. It's fucking criminal. Yeah, it's... Yeah, awful. The return to TNA, though, like, she said she'd, like, you know, she, it was like she never left. She just showed up. was like, oh, hey, hey. <laughs> That's she's, nice. She's there again, you know. She felt she won the Women's Championship a bit soon when she came back to TNA. Mm. I think she was a bit worried they hadn't necessarily kind of given enough time or respect to the women who had kind of filled in the gaps since she had left. Right. Because they brought in people like Mickey James and stuff like oh, that. Really? In, in the meanwhile, in Victoria, as Tara was also doing really well in TNA. So she was brought back and they brought her back as a heel. And this is the first time I got introduced to proper heel Gail Kim, like, where she's a heel on her own. And she is fucking amazing. Where she's, like, literally, like, I can't believe I, you know, you know, left this company thinking that I needed fans on my side. Like, she's a natural heel. Yeah. She's much more comfortable in her skin just talking shit about the fans. And, like, she's like, didn't anyone hear? I'm the best women's wrestler in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. And she, like, refused to wrestle people who she said were, like, beneath her status and all Fantastic. that. Fantastic. And that sets up this excellent feud and the one that's going to take us to our next and final match which is against Taryn Terrell last knockout standing which uh, is I mean at least not calling it last man standing I mean I mean it's, it very much confused me when we were watching this match because I didn't put two and two together that last knockout standing was like female equivalent of last man standing I right. thought it was some new gimmick match where like the last person to knock someone out and then it was somehow involved standing. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is some new new thing. But new no, match, no. no, it's nothing to do with knocking out. It's to do with the knockouts, the women's division. The so. story of this I fucking love. And it's, again, another one where Gail said they got six months to tell the story. Yeah. And Taryn Terrell is someone who I remember seeing on WWE TV. And I was like, I swear to God, I'd look at her. She was the general manager of the WWE version of ECW. I'm like what the fuck is your what are you why are you here she's, why are you the general manager of ECW I mean can you describe Taryn Terrell's look she's fan I, I'm a little bit obsessed with her I think like I think she's really fascinating I fucking love Taryn Terrell I think she is infinitely interesting yeah like I, I'm always fascinated by people who've had like very disparate careers but let's talk about the look first because I think okay. that's more important to establish she looks like a cheerleader like she's got she's got like blonde hair she's white she's tall she's tall she's got big breasts she's athletic kind of, body yeah, like she's, she's Vince's absolute ideal she looks like a glamour model and she does have as well like the kind of the girl next door sweet yeah. smile and face like she looks a bit like Alexa Bliss actually only yeah, tall much taller and, 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 and more statuesque yeah. So, like, I remember watching ECW and you have, like, like, hi, guys, it's me, Tiffany. I'm here to book the main event of ECW. I'm like, where's my barbed wire? Like, what is this? And I remember just thinking, like, she didn't wrestle. So, I'm like, 
why did they hire her? Why she's not even that good at talking? I thought like cause she had to do all these awkward announcements. Yeah, as a face GM on ECW, it's like a, it's a lose lose situation. She comes into TNA and like, of course, TNA would sign the the cast off reject from WWE, <laughs> and they make her a referee. And I'm like, obviously, they made her a referee because she can't wrestle, <laughs> and she spent six months or thereabouts being the knockouts referee, where she's established as being firm but fair. She'll get in their face, she'll get physical, but she she is absolutely a legit referee. And she keeps getting in Gail's face, like where Rick used to get in Tommy Young's face or Triple H and Earl Hebner. And Gail keeps pushing her and pushing her to the point where Gail starts attacking her in matches and then Taryn fights back. Wow, okay. And they do the storyline where it's like, Taryn, you're a referee, you can't attack the competitors. And she's like, fine then you know, suspend me as a referee. I'm getting my wrestling license. I'm going to kick her fucking ass. Wow. And they start having matches. And throughout the matches where Gail is like, I've just come back from that shit show WWE and I'm sick and tired of fucking bikini models like you getting all the opportunities. I'm going to kick the shit out of you. (laughs) Like really like you're scared for Taryn. Like you don't know what you're in for. Gail's dangerous. And then Taryn proves herself to be the incredibly tough resilient the stunt performer that she actually is in real life so taryn terrell's background is really interesting so she she was originally a glamour no an adult star an adult film film star yeah yeah. and so she worked in porn and stuff so she then became a born-again christian yeah so i think that she was part of i don't know too much about this but i know she was part of that very kind of religious right-leaning like disavowing of porn Mm. kind of you know puritan group so, yeah, I, I would say I, I use the word interesting, not amazing, to describe <laughs> Taryn Trell's background because I think I think the shaming that goes on with adult performers oh, is, is gross. And I think that I think a lot of folks who are in that who feel that they're speaking from a place of experience don't know everyone's experience. No, going exactly. Into it. But anyway. But the idea of there being a woman who was an adult film star and also a stunt double is like yeah. so fascinating. You were, to me. Was, I don't know if it was on an episode or was yeah, it recently? You were asking about was, stunt people. Yeah, I can't remember if it was on an episode or not, but I was, I literally asked, didn't I? I was like, has there ever been an instance of like, because the thing is, being a stunt double requires a lot of the same skills as yeah. being a wrestler. You have to be physically very tough, you have to be able to take bumps, you have to know how to fall, take direction. Take direction yeah but you also have to be able to kind of choreograph stuff yourself as well like there is a huge overlap and i was really surprised that i'd never heard of any stunt doubles becoming wrestlers or Uh, vice versa how tiffany as she was known at the time in ecw how she was never like at any point they're like you know she used to do fucking stunts or she still does do stunts in her her off time like how badass is that why does that not fit an ecw brand at least your version of it it's ridiculous so yeah i love this story because i felt that Gail and Taryn used my prejudice against yeah. her in the best way possible because, like the heel, like I, you know, there's matches where you're rooting for the babyface, but the matches where you're kind of like, I don't know, that heel's got a point though, yeah, and then the babyface wins you over. That's magical. That's yeah. very rare in wrestling. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like I, I think to very few storylines that can actually do that effectively, where you get taken on that rise. So because Gail knew Taryn was working as a stunt double. They figured that they could do some impressive spots that like women's wrestling hadn't previously been like maybe allowed to do. Yeah. They thought they could push the boat out a bit and they had loads of ideas for the match. Spots like doing a spear bomb off the top rope and through. It's just a spear. Oh, is it? Yeah. A spear bomb sounds spear so much better. Spear bomb sounds great. I thought you were going to call it a spirit bomb, which is uh, Goku and Keith Lee's finisher. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like things like doing a spear off the top rope into a table. Yeah, they're going to go off the stage, I think. Yeah, like all these really cool ideas that like, 
you know, traditionally women were really not allowed to do at all. And I will say, at this point in time, the management structure in TNA completely different whole different set of folks yeah that wouldn't say the women's division was necessarily firing on all cylinders at the time as well like there were some kind of missteps along the way so bruce pritchard from wwe was actually like one of the what would you call exact producer yeah him and big john gaborik they were vince's right hand men and they were running they were running tna so yeah famously great attitudes towards women (laughs) and so gail and taryn were told over and over no you can't do that spot it's too interesting no you can't do that one it would look bad for the men that's it because the main event of this show was Sting and Bubba Ray Dudley and they were having a street fight so it wasn't a case that you can't do this because women don't do these moves you can't do this because we have a more important gimmick match later and Gail had said that they would do a pay-per-view called like Lockdown where all the matches are in the cage and the women would be told at the start don't use the cage because they're using the cage in the main event and like good luck you don't use the cage in a cage match yeah well, those are some interesting uh, limitations. It's like hard mode when you're like or something. <laughs> you have to have all these special criteria you have to fulfill. See, so, yeah, they, they can't use the table. They can't use the stage. Yeah. She had to beg to use a chair. Yeah, she literally eventually begs Bruce Pritchard to let them use a chair. Like, Did- just a chair. And he's like, mm, I'm not sure. And she's like, I promise I'll, I'll use it in a girly way. How do you use a chair in a girly way? <laughs> I don't know. Because in this match, she uses a chair. And I will say it's not particularly girly. No. It's just the fact that he's like, yeah, all right. If you promise to use it in a girly way, I'll let you use a chair. It's just, oh my God. Can we talk for a second about how Gail Kim has continuously throughout the timeline of this episode glowed up and up and up and up? She just amazing looks. Just everywhere. Every time. All the time. The ring gear is always on point. Yeah. Love the long boots. And the Titan Tron is well. Oh, so cool. So fucking awesome. She leads into the kind of Korean, like, uh, heritage. And it's fucking badass. It's really, really cool. So Gail does use a chair in this match quite early on. We Mm. start off with, like, kind of, you know, three or four minutes of just standard wrestling in in the ring. Like, nothing particularly spectacular. And I remember watching this at the time kind of going, yeah, just what I figured that Taryn Terrell and Gail Kim would probably produce. Just a regular WWE light type of a thing. And then the chair comes into it. And this ain't a girly use of a chair, though. A cross body into the chair as Gail was holding the chair on her own stomach. <laughs> That's fucking vicious. So girly. I mean, the chair is roughly the size of Gail's whole fucking torso. Yeah. It's so... And they do some real intense spots like Gail does Brett's uh, turnbuckle figure four, which is actually kind of quite scary because she's so much shorter than Brett's. Yeah, her her head barely touches the floor. (laughs) So scary. There's an awful moment on commentary that I had to write down. Is this because you had Taz on commentary? Mm. You like Taz, do you? I love Taz, Joe. And Taz on commentary in TNA when they've added a third commentator that he doesn't want to be there has zero fucks to give. Almost as few as Gail Kim. Yeah, okay. So Taz says... Um, oh, so sorry, someone else on commentary. I forget who. Who is on commentary? You got Mike today, and honestly, I, the third guy was brought in for like two or three shows and then they got okay. rid of him, so... Someone asks Taz, what kind of strategy would you use to incapacitate your opponent? Because Taz was an ECW wrestler, mm-hmm. so he's like a good person to ask. The way you might like refer to Nigel McGuinness or Beth Phoenix on like commentary. Yeah, like, the former competitor. Yeah, the former competitor. And Taz responds, well, I'm a little different. I would try to choke him out, but these women... They're loaded with, like, estrogen issues or something like that. 
Yeah, that's what happens when you've not got a Vince McMahon in your ear. There, there are such things as necessary evils in this world, folks. And uh, producers for commentators are a necessary evil. Estrogen issues? Huh? Can I please hear someone on the commentary refer to a men's division as having testosterone issues or something like that? Or maybe they do that when they hit the wellness violations. Because like, I mean, <laughs> there's been a few of those testosterone issues in the last few years. Like, I mean, yeah, I think what Taz was going for was that testosterone makes men angry so estrogen makes women angry i'm here to tell you biologically that that is false mr taz yeah. you are wrong and i'll happily study the cycle with you whenever you want <laughs> we can talk about all of it talk about progesterone as well how to hormones yeah we could use that on commentary progesterone about time we got some time in the limelight right <laughs> gail sets up the chair in the corner and i wonder if this was a top spot for you where oh, she yeah. she runs into it how would you describe the reaction of her and the chair her and the chair kind of like like glitch out like is in there in 2k20 where they kind of just spin away and then gail's somehow on the floor and the chair is on top of her the chair goes fucking flying <laughs> yeah like i swore it was going to go into the audience yeah. <laughs> and then in an interview we watched gail was like yeah i didn't think that was going to happen we were really scared <laughs> like, Shit. and this is really refreshing to watch from two women who were told in wwe that rest that the style that they would go for would be no punches, no kicks, or they're often told, don't be violent. Yeah. And this is violent right here. <laughs> Taryn gets the figure four onto Gail, and then Taz starts referring to Gail as soft and delicate on commentary. Oh, what, Gail. What soft Gail, soft and delicate. No, I, I disagree. I firmly disagree. This was my spot of the night, because I've seen this move many times. And I do not know how Taryn did it and not legitimately kill herself. Where she does the suicide dive through the ropes. But mm. TNA has got the ramp that's set up where it goes directly into the ring. Yes. So the ramp is raised up and at apron height. Mm -hmm. So she goes right through and just splats. It is a lot like Cody Rhodes in, I forget which AEW oh, show Oh yeah, watched. recently. Yeah. Except that was a big boo-boo and this was on purpose. Oh, I don't know if it was a boo-boo. I think that was on purpose too. What, Cody? Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ, Cody. I think he wanted to split his head open. Yeah, well, he got his wish, didn't he? <laughs> so were you surprised at this point with just how much these two competitors were knocking out the park? Because we get a holy shit chant at this point. Yeah, and this was, I mean... Here's the thing, when Gail is the face, Gail is the fucking, the daredevil, throwing herself into anything, you know, you expect this. But as a heel, she's a so heel, scary. The thing, as a heel, I'm expecting Gail to beat the shit out of Taryn. I wasn't expecting there to be, like, I wasn't expecting Taryn to do these high spots. Yeah. I wasn't expecting any of the women to be doing these high spots. Like, the finish of this match is one of the most dangerous things I've seen in wrestling in a long time. Yeah. Where Taryn does a running cutter just off the side of the ramp, and you don't even see where they land. It's mad <laughs> it's so fucking scary and yeah they only get like eight or nine minutes yeah but it's a legitimate like when they do the 10 count then you're like who is going to get up first mm. taryn just makes it to her feet and immediately she's made yeah and in the same way awesome kong helped make gail kim gail kim helped make taryn Terrell. i think that's pretty cool yeah i think that's cool what did you think of this one yeah i i really really loved this match it was so hard hitting like they beat the shit out of one another and yeah. My only criticism is that it's a last man standing match or a last knockout standing match. And to me, they need to go on longer. Like yeah, you can't, 15, 20. Like, yeah, it yeah. just makes the... I think it makes them look a bit weak when it's like you can't stand up after you know 10 seconds and you've only been wrestling for nine minutes. Yeah, and I think some of those WWE sensibilities are definitely leaking through from the, yeah. the people they have in the office. And that's the problem with TNA. 
there's so many asterisks when recommending stuff yeah. you know and it's and you know it, it's it's very difficult to know who's pulling the strings at any given time because it's such a fucking complicated history of ownership and who's booking and stuff like that so i think like taron and gail went on to have the feud again but they flipped the roles this time i just want to mention this because it's one of the fucking stupidest weirdest gimmicks ever and i and i kind of love it taron got this group called the dollhouse and the dollhouse were a heel stable of like very like if sexy baby voice could be a heel character oh wow that was it so you'd have taryn Terrell and like her three baby friends baby. who'd be wearing this like kind of lingerie but like big fluffy tutus and their hair and ribbons and they're sucking lollipops and they're like ripping hair out of dolls going i'm gonna kill gail because oh she won't play God. with me and like you know taryn surprisingly for the reformed porn star would literally wrestle in lingerie wow and they did this like whole thing where she was this heel who wanted to destroy gail's life for beating her up so bad in the past so gail who was now married and happily living with celebrity chef robert irvine she decided to forcibly insert herself in the into their live of the irvines so she'd be like look at this gail and she'd show a picture like look it's your two adopted daughters and i'm with them at a concert and she's there like in laundry with this big creepy smile and these two kids are like <laughs> i don't like this weird sexy lady <laughs> and yeah i mean i just thought i'd bring that up because taryn terrell i think She's kind of went in and out of wrestling. I think she kind of decided she could make more money elsewhere. Mm. But very much like showing that WWE were at the time letting women of all, even women like Taryn Terrell, who are like, that's the idea. If that's not the ideal for them, who the fuck is? I know, right? Because like, she's got the look. That, You're like, sexy, but conservative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but also like, she's like, from what, at least what I saw in this match, she seems to be an even better wrestler than Trish. I mean, she definitely had way more upside, I think, and yeah. potential. I think Taryn Trail definitely never reached the full potential. I just think, you know, we have talked a lot about, like, the glass ceiling for, for, for people of different races in WWE. Yeah. You could have everything in spades, like Taryn Trail has, in terms of what they want, and mm. still, it's not enough. Like, WWE just had a very retrograde, shitty opinion towards women at the time. And you know what? Give Divas a chance and all that stuff. There's a lot of online movements that came, and I think it was very important that Gail Kim has been a constant vocal critic because wrestling, as we've often talked about, is someone is an industry where everyone's always concerned about the next payday and maybe I don't want to bury them because maybe I don't want to work there down the line. Yeah. Gail's in the TNA Hall of Fame. She's retired. and She's married to a multi-billionaire who owns like a thousand restaurants in Las Vegas. She don't give a shit. She don't need Vince McMahon's millions. She's got her own now. And I love that because I feel there's not enough of that in wrestling at the moment. Like a lot of the female wrestlers from that particular era you know they either still work in the industry or they're still hoping to like one day work in the industry so they stay on wb's good terms yeah, i'm not gonna go and bury wwe yeah, because you want a job with them i want a job with them i mean i saw like eve torres recently she came out and was like hey wwe donald trump groped me when you uh yeah when you brought him out like that. i'm glad to see like some people now are feeling empowered to do that because yeah. in the history of wrestling there are countless examples of like men who have had to like eat plates of shit and like had to go back on things they said they would never do and go back on you know huge you know big stances they've made i'll never do this and they have to come back because they don't need a payday and that's like 99.99 percent of the women who've left wb that applies to yeah. and it's good to see that we're not all crazy thinking that there were problems with the wwe Kyrie Zane and Io shirai's names got mixed up Ugh. you know she was there as well calling yeah. them out on it 
And we need people like that in wrestling. I'm yeah. sure it, it upsets a lot of people, but those people probably aren't listening to this podcast. But we need vocal critics mm. and we need these strong voices to actually fucking hold WWE to account. Because people will listen to Gail Kim. Oh yeah, absolutely. So am I right in thinking that Gail Kim is partly responsible for the Give Divas a Chance movement i mean i would say that's aj lee you know because aj lee was in the company and she was stirring up that stuff while she was in the company and oftentimes people have said you know well gail kim has the benefit of not being in wwe and has the financial security that she does she can do that whereas aj lee you know aj was hired by the company at the time her husband had, had just left and you know it was really putting herself out of limb to do it And i think aj lee has probably been blacklisted as a result right as heavily as Gail has been. What was it that Gail said again? I don't know if the WWE likes strong, outspoken women. I mean, I don't think they like anyone who criticises them. You know, that's I the don't know if that's completely fair, because I feel there are a lot of instances of men in the WWE being outspoken and standing up for themselves and then being rewarded yeah, for it. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I guess they don't like anyone who kind of points out their... Uh, hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy, mm. you know, particularly when the brand at the moment is we are a feminist company and yeah. we're very empowering. Haven't you seen our Susan G. Komen month? <laughs> don't get much more feminist than that. Like, yeah. Gail had to retire a few years ago and she retired because of issues with her, her back... She attributes it to the drop kick. She says she didn't do that top rope drop kick. She probably would still be resting. It was her L4 and L5 vertebrae were basically completely gone. And she was told, you know, you have you have to retire now. Mm. That wasn't on her call. She did get to come back for... She got to retire on top. She went to the TNA Hall of Fame. And she did come back out of retirement for a match with Tessa Blanchard. Which... I was in a few minds about whether or not we should include. It's a match that people were talking about, saying it was really excellent. We got a few recommendations. But honestly, I didn't want to spend the whole episode talking about how problematic and fucked up Tessa Blanchard is and all the stuff surrounding her as yeah. well. And I will say as well, in her capacity as a producer for Impact Wrestling, people like Gail and Don Callis, like names in wrestling I do respect, have unfortunately come out begrudgingly and been like, oh no, we haven't heard anything bad about Tessa being racist it's like you've built 12 months for this woman to be your top star and you're not going to let accusations of racism stop that and derail that I kind of feel I was disappointed when I heard Gail make a statement about Tessa and essentially defend her because she's like I didn't see her be racist that's such a shame because yeah and Gail- I don't want to end this episode without bringing that up Gail knows better than most people just how racist the industry is and can be and how unchecked racist yeah. with you know, stroke and power and the bookers on their side and you can get away know, with anything. Yeah, and you should know as well, as a woman of colour in this industry, that you it's not necessarily what you see, it's what happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And there is a lot of shit that happens behind closed doors. And also, you know, as as badly as Gail Kim was treated, you know, she's, she's Canadian-Korean. She whereas... has been fortunate and I don't think she encountered the level of racism that La Rosa Negra did with with Tessa Blanchard, let's just say. And I don't want to repeat what was said. If you don't know about it, I mean, I really would say if you're interested in women's wrestling, you need to go and check that out. Do check out Gail's comments on it as well and make up your own mind on it. But for me, I was very disappointed Mm. with that. And it kind of like, it did kind of put a little bit of a sour note on this because I was like, oh, and then we could do her big retirement. Like, no, I don't, that feels like kind of wrong. I don't want to put that on a pedestal. You know, I don't want to, put Tessa Blanchard on a pedestal at all like so mm. I will say that I think that is that is hypocrisy from Gail yeah. we defended her a lot and praised her a lot and I think it would be wrong not to point that out and we would kind of expect you'd expect more you'd hope for more I mean yeah. it did disappoint me a little bit but maybe putting that to one side for a moment Gail's career definitely probably one of the most unique women we've looked at in wrestling we've had so many journeymen who've like 
I don't like it here, so I'm going to go here and make my own look and fortune. Yeah, you never get that with women's wrestling. Like, it's really hard to do that I as mean, a woman. Like. You pointed out that Sherry kind of did that, but she didn't do it on her own terms. She no. just moved from company to company because they fired her. Yeah. Whereas Gail, she decided, I want more from this. I, I know I can do better. I know I deserve better. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to find out where I can go, where I'm treated with the respect I deserve. And I think... For the amount of times that people have been inspired by stories of, of men in wrestling who've like, you know, people get so inspired by Mick Foley, but you know, being the journeyman going doing his own thing and all that. And like, I think it's always very powerful a wrestler who has a story that could inspire another generation. And I think for Gail Kim to look, as we said, and see nothing there for someone like her or for women and to actually say, fuck it, I'm going to go and try and do something from the ground up. Mm. With a lot of help on the way from some very talented wrestlers, some open-minded bookers and a lot of close-minded bookers mm. as well. I think Gail Kim is like a pretty stunning example of of mind over matter in wrestling. I do love the fact that she's still working in the industry. Because as, yeah, as so producer, o- yeah. So often in these episodes, it kind of ends with, and then they retired, and now they're nothing to do with the industry whatsoever. And that's why they are able to be so outspoken. But she is still involved in the industry. She's a producer for Impact. And she's really involved in a lot of the matches that go on there. Like, she mm. gets involved with, like, the women's storylines and fuse, and she comes up and goes, well, you could try this or that. Or, you know, what yeah. about if you did this this move here? And she's like, you know, you can tell me to shut up, if you know, if you want me to shut up, but... But I'm always wanting to try new things and push the boundaries and, you know, why not do this? That's what you want a booker as opposed yeah. to someone saying you can't do a superplex or a punch tonight, sorry. And someone like Gail Kim as well is so perfectly suited for that. Like, someone who really did innovate in every single match she was in. She was always pulling out new moves. She was always trying her hardest to make her matches unique and stand out from the other matches that she's done. Like, she said that she didn't want to do any more cage matches because she'd done everything that she could possibly <laughs> do in a cage. And, you know, I think that's really admirable to know no, I'm drawing my limit there. I've done that. I want to do other things now. Yeah, I think it's really awesome because, like, you know, she said and like, when she was trying to quit WWE when she was in the Brian and Bella storyline, one of the things they said to her was, well, look, why don't we send you down to FCW, which was the pre-NXT. Like, you could become a trainer. You could train the girls. And she's like, I'm fucking not even, like, I'm 30 yet even. Yeah. And she's like, you know, that happened with Jillian Hall as well, where they tried to say you know, why don't you go down and train the girls? It's like, well, you're going to get less money. You're going to have to move. Mm. They're basically saying your career is over. And still very physical. End, and it's still quite physical. So it's like, you know, Gail was able to do that, but Gail did this like nearly 10 years later. Yeah. And the fact that WWE were going to like basically say in 2009, like, yeah, you're in 2010, you're done pretty much. You want to go be a trainer? Fucking hell. Like, fucking so hell. Ridiculous. I know a lot of women have like a shorter lifespan, it seems, in wrestling because wrestling seems to not yet be ready to embrace older women mm. and obviously it's a very you know it's a physical job and people have other things they want to do with their lives but i think it's it's ridiculous to think that you want to be sending someone out to pasture like that and i'm so glad that gail is able to help now like it was really heartwarming to me when we were watching the end of the documentary where they had gail you know with the headset talk with all these women and they had like rosemary and sue young and all these really crazy wild characters and you're like What's that? Yeah. I want to see that. Such interesting characters. That, like, you think about when Gail was wrestling and just like, there was, wasn't that diversity. There just wasn't undead brides in wrestling at the time. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Like? So yeah, I mean, I'm really happy that Gail continues to have a positive influence mm. on wrestling. I mean, who knows what the future holds for Impact Wrestling, but if it has a legacy to, to have one of the main facets of that will be the women's division and the heart and soul of that awesome Kong and Gail Kim. And let's see what you folks thought about the innovator Gail Kim while we go to your tweets and your Facebook messages. 
first up from Jeff Maxfield, I recall a TNA house show I saw had Gail Kim versus Velvet Sky. Gail was all business, Velvet was more for show. I see now Gail had to deal with a lot of opponents that weren't up to her level, but inspired many future competitors to get to her level and beyond. Yeah, so TNA, uh, they did have a number of like women who would have probably been more of the WWE mould of like looks over ability, let's just say. And I think, yeah, Gail did have to work with that, as did a lot of the women in, in, in TNA did. I think TNA kind of, in their own mind, got around that by grouping those women together into yeah. like kind of a stable called the Beautiful People. So right. they kind of figured that was like an easy way to do both. But yeah, I mean, I didn't say they hired a lot of really amazing women. And I think not all of the women that they hired had longevity. Mm-hmm. Some had more than others. I think Velvet Sky is someone who probably had... A lot more longevity than her ability would have necessarily given you. But I mean, like, they all benefited. Even those those women got to benefit from working with the likes of Gail and oh, Kong sure. and stuff like that. You know, it's kind of everyone's game got raised up a yeah, bit, I think. Yeah, steel sharpened steel. Yeah. Ooh, very good. We got one here over on Facebook.com slash HowToWrestling from Matthew Michalovic. I remember playing the THQ games and seeing, hey, someone else saw Six Second Magic and thought no one else could do it for real. Goddamn right, Gail Kim could do it for real. Bam! <laughs> now from Branavan Candia. Fit Finley deserves a big shout out as he was a huge advocate for the women during Gail's time on the roster. That is true. And you really kind of like have to feel for... I, don't, I never want anyone to think that we're like trying to bury like the women's division or like all the producers and all that. Like the, the edict was coming from, from on high in yeah. WWE. And I think that is a really good thing. I, I'm kind of ashamed I've not brought that up ever before. Like Fit Finley. He was like wrestler from Northern Ireland, tough as fucking nails, like great counterpoints to Regal. They would have been kind of almost mirror images of each other in many respects, very similar style. And it was his job to like, you know, with the absurd limitations that they had to bring the women through these matches. So if they had a bra and panties match, he had to there talk, well, what can we do to at least I would fucking kill. chuck in a through you know a few moves that will look a bit physical. I would kill to see someone like Fit Finley talk through a match like a bar and panties match actually we saw it on our, uh, funny enough on our Trish Revisited episode we went back we watched the, the Trish uh, 24 that WWE did for the network and they showed some clips if you recall of like her and Stacey Keebler working with Finley and he was like look we can't punch so why don't we do some like head rams into the corner and stuff and he was like really like and he's, I've watched shoots with him and he's like look they had to fucking wrestle in lingerie if they could do a move that someone went ooh I mean that was like yeah. what we were fucking it was a low ceiling but like we were trying our best yeah and I think that's worth bearing in mind that WWE were putting out this fucking, this framework that the producers, most of them, and the women were trying very hard to at least say, well, can we get, fuck-? Now, those who were fortunate to get matches yeah. were actually trying to make it fucking work. And you know what else, like, considering there are a lot of shitty men in wrestling, honestly, if it weren't for the few good men in wrestling, mm-hmm. women's wrestling wouldn't have been taken nearly as seriously and wouldn't be to the level it is today. Because yeah. it really is down to those good men to help elevate all women as a whole and help realise because there were there look, were no women who yeah, were in a position of like of power. power at all like the or, closest you have is Stephanie and she's yeah. not a wrestler and she's not well, she's not the world's best feminist no <laughs> more onto that in the Stephanie McMahon episode from Jonathan Foster here before Paige came in and won the title on her first night 
Kale Kim did the same thing in 03. She had a very cool Matrix style. It was completely different from the other women at the time. I wasn't watching wrestling much at the time, but when my father had it on, Gail Kim was someone that I was instantly drawn to, and it was a total shame WWE did so little with her. When I got back into wrestling in 07, it was her feud with Awesome Kong and TNA that was one of the things that kept me around. She is the original women's movement and is proof that the grass isn't always greener in the WWE. I'm so happy to see she is now an agent and a producer in Impact, as she seems to have a lot to offer future talent. I think the next generation of women we're going to see in the next 10 years are probably going to blow everything out of oh, the yeah, water because we sure. have a whole generation of like tenured amazing women. I think of Gail, I think of Sarah Del Rey mm. and I get really excited about the future yeah, of women's wrestling. It's really exciting. And you know what, on that point about being a fan, you know, Gail was, she, she grew up being a WWE fan first and foremost. So she would have grown up you know, watching people like Bret Hart mm. and, and all these athletes and, and she'd have seen how few women there were and got, sort, of, sort of thought to herself, yeah, I can be something that I, I can't see it, but I could be it. Yeah. It must have been so hard for her being a WWE fan and then going to the WWE, not having once, that experience. but twice and yeah. having that awful experience of just being shut down, disregarded, ignored, devalued and buried. And I just like... Like, that's hard enough being a woman in that industry full stop like even if you're not a fan but, like, but like, yeah. to be that that childhood fan inside of being like ah oh, this is so exciting I can live my dream and then being like oh they mm. don't see me as a potential threat they don't see me that way well, we talked about the Kevin Owens episode as well where like I think the the super fandom they use it against you yeah. because it's like well you grew up watching this you love it so you you're just be grateful be grateful yeah and, you know that that's a poisonous thought and that thought comes into the mind of like you know Kevin Owens who, yeah. who definitely knows his value the women who are constantly at the time being kind of devalued or being you know being very much shown you do not have a space of any note in this company well why would you else would you think that yeah WWE is yeah doesn't give two shits about yeah. you you know I imagine there's a couple of tell all books from some of the women around that time that could come I out I really hope so yeah, yeah. once Vince dies <laughs> now from vcom 7418 back in 2013 a dumb teenager brackets me thought that all wrestling was good for was eye candy from the ladies by the end of 2013 i'd have watched gail kim versus taryn terrell one and two that showed me that the artful mix of action athletics and storytelling that pro wrestling is heck yeah got one here from scott danger hardy one of the very few people not afraid to call out Vince McMahon in the WWE, both when she was in the company and outside of the company. That's worth bearing in mind, you know, she was she was tweeting and yeah. talking shit while she was under contract at that period of time from when she eliminated herself to when they actually released her. She was on Twitter all day talking shit like and, and I'm, do you I'm think, glad she did. Is that do you think why she's not been put in the WWE Hall of Fame? Oh, I mean, in, in their mind, she's not a Hall of Fame caliber person at all. How? Because she won the Women's Championship once on a kind of a whim for them, and she never drew them money in their minds. So, yeah, no, she she wouldn't. You know. Okay. If WWE somehow incorporated TNA, then, yeah, maybe that could you can make the argument. But, like, honestly, I think the TNA Hall of Fame is something that people are kind of like, ha, TNA Hall of Fame, like, you oh, know. Oh, it's Hall of Fame. They're all silly. I mean, it's all silly. I, like, I feel bad, like, and I, it's a bit shitty, I think, when I hear people like Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, and he did like, a whole episode where he just buried their Hall of Fame. It's like, we went to this shitty hotel and had a crap dinner, and I had to buy a shitty watch for Sting. As if Sting the doesn't WB... even want to go into the Hall of Fame for TNA. As like. if the WWE Hall of Fame is just, like this revered, or like, proper award-winning cat, like... As, as the Honky Tonk Man uh, said, or my friend went up to me, he said, I got a good dinner, they paid for my hotel room, and I got a piece of shit plaque I put in the fucking bin. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think Gail is one of the few people where 
TNA Hall of Fame is very fitting because TNA put like Hogan in their Hall of Fame. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? He didn't, he didn't do diddly boo in your co- in your company other than hurt his back more, you yeah. know, and cause you a lot of fucking money. But Gail like made a division. She became a legend in that company. She gained notoriety, you know, and stardom. She deserves to be in the TNA Hall of Fame. And like honestly, I think she she deserves to be in that one. And her not being in the WWE Hall of Fame is totally fine. Mm. It's just a bell and a whistle. I think it's appropriate that she's in the TNA Hall of Fame because that company let her be her. Yeah. You know? Now from Goddamn I'm Glam, unappreciated in the WWE and the crown jewel during her initial singles TNA run, her feud with Kong was the most compelling stuff on TNA. A real trailblazer and her fearlessness and outspokenness opened more doors for others than we'll ever be able to measure. Fucking A. I think of all the young women who will have been watching, who grew up watching watching Gail Kim wrestle and it makes my heart swell you know what it really does kind of in many respects it, it does behoove us kind of supporting TNA and hoping that that company can continue to exist in some sort of an independent format because you know that if WWE absorbed TNA or bought its library or whatever they wouldn't really care about no. Kong or Gail or whatever they care about like the AJ matches maybe Samoa Joe some of the of people course, yeah. who they're pushing on their TV right now but I kind of like we've talked before that if your history doesn't happen in WWE you kind of aren't in the history book so yeah, to speak absolutely and I would say something that I was really like surprised by because uh, when TNA were bought by Fight TV and Anthem I thought like oh Jesus it's another shell corporation but the series of retrospectives that they've done for the TNA wrestlers, there's one on Bobby Lashley, there's one on Gale, there's a whole one that's about the Gale Awesome Kong feud. Really comparable production values to WWE stuff. It's a really good job, and I'm really happy for that because I'm happy these stories can be told in the HD documentary environment that wrestling fans will only accept they have happened if that is how they're presented yeah. to them. Because I don't want it to be that we only know about Gail Kim's history in a fucking smoky room with RF video. Mm. I want it to be out there and people to know it. Yeah. So, yeah, it is... She's a big part of a company that finds itself caught in between the AEW and the Ring of Honor and New Japan and WWE. It's not any of those things. It's kind of its own little weird little blip on the own uh, on its own right. It is tenuous, I would say, if you're listening to this episode in like three or four years' time, whether or not that company still exists. Really? And if it does not exist, I just simply hope that the legacy of Gale and the women and what they accomplished is preserved somehow, because I think it is inspiring. And you can only inspire if people know that it happens. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Last one now here from Kenny Evil on Twitter. An undersung hero for women's wrestling in North America. At a time when WWE was content to send out women for two-minute matches where they gave them little training and less respect, Gail Kim was in TNA having an all-time classic feud with Amazing Kong. Yeah, man, I'm really glad that, like, you've gotten to see now probably like two halves of like one of my favorite divisions ever i think like we've uh i oftentimes i get worried about just doing wwe stuff on this and mm. i often get worried about not doing enough women on yeah, this show and i kind of feel like this has been a really great i think with this and kong we've had a chance to tell a much different story about about women in wrestling and i've had a fucking blast i got i didn't think i get nostalgic for this stuff i've just learned so much from this because like when when it was first decided that we were going to do an episode on Gail Kim, like I, as I said, I didn't know anything about her. I didn't even necessarily think, and this is terrible, but I didn't think she was going to be that good a wrestler because like WWE don't talk about her. And I grew, I grew up, grew up in the last five years on WWE and their narrative storytelling of how things have gone. And also going back to the past, like I remember watching the Trish episode and just being kind of like, the, the, the work rate or the standard, like, you know, 
the limitations they had on them means that these matches are a little bit kind of like underwhelming to us yeah. compared to we were watching Bailey and Sasha on TV, you know, on NXT when we first did that episode. So going back to the past, women can sometimes be a little bit of a jarring experience because you see a much different style of wrestling yeah. not necessarily for the better in this case it was but i think with all those limitations in mind i think you can still genuinely appreciate those matches you know even mm. if they can't compare to the current modern formula of wrestling yeah. standard the fact that they weren't allowed to you know have any closed fists they weren't allowed to throw punches they had to do forearms they couldn't go over the top rope like rule after rule after rule of limitation of things you can't do that the men can rely on to get hilt because it was build heat to you know, get yeah, pushes. Yeah, get the audience yeah. interested. Like. And yet they still, you know, some of these women still managed to pull it off even without all those assets. So it's yeah. just incredible what they've managed. I think it's, it's awesome. I'm really glad we've had a chance to, to look at Gail. I think there's a number of women from this time who I'm really excited to episodes. Molly, Holly, Victoria. These are like big names I think you're going to really be excited about. And the little we've done about Jacqueline, I think as well, has, has been quite tantalising. Next episode, well, there's been a little bit of a rearrangement of sorts because mm-hmm. events have, have happened in real wrestling life that have made us decide, let's maybe bring things a little bit forward and move things around a little bit. So our next episode that was originally planned is going to be now coming out after this next coming episode, but I don't think anyone's going to be unhappy, Joe, when I reveal that we're going to be doing an episode about the Rated R Superstar and the recently returned Greek god, Edge! Yay! I cannot wait. This is an idea that we just have to kind of poach from later on down the line and bring it back here into the forefront because Edge came back and he was such a presence mm. I kind of feel like I can't go into Wrestlemania this year without you knowing about Edge thank you I appreciate that because he's a big hunk he's a big hunk big episode big career and I will say we will be doing an episode separately about Edge and Christian later we will touch on Edge and Christian we will talk about Edge and Christian but much like with the Dudley Boys episode where I said I will eventually do a Bully Ray episode I feel the careers are separate enough and I don't want to just kind of quickly ziz, whiz through it and think that's all we're going to do so we will briefly talk about edge and christian and we will return to edge and christian for a full episode and to look at their feud and their relationship and all that probably after we've done our christian episode i think will only be fair to do so we are after your thoughts comments your emotions upon his big return favorite matches favorite feuds favorite promos I'm honestly, folks, a little bit overwhelmed right now because very rarely do we have someone who I've watched from my childhood all the way up until my 20s. You know, when we were watching that Superstars match, it was WrestleMania 27. And I was like, look, Joe, they're going to try and hype up Miz and John Cena. And then they're like, and defending the world title, it's Edge against Del Rio. And this is like, how many, nine years ago? Yeah. And that's his last match. And I'm like, holy fuck. I, I know this man's whole career, the highs, the lows, the creamy middles. And I, I, I might need to condense, folks, but I can't leave out La Familia. I can't leave out The Brood. I can't leave out the live sex celebration. Like, I'm really excited. And, <laughs> and I might explode, so I need your help. Use the hashtag HowToEdge. Do not use the hashtag how to egg that's a different episode i'm worried that this hashtag is going to lead us to some weird places on the internet any adam what how to edge oh shit <laughs> i've just realized that we better check that hashtag <laughs> kevin's checking now <laughs> okay phew it's all us okay it's all us everyone's just saying they're looking forward to ha- no this person is tweeting to you saying he's looking forward to how to edge but right. i think he's not talking about at least, at least I hope he's not. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yes, just in case we were worried there might be some sort of like a porn website crossover there. <laughs> How to Edge. How to Egg was the backup, I think. Yeah. Just in case I would have happily embraced that. I can't wait for the artwork on this one. I think this is my favourite ever artwork ever, 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 ever. I absolutely love it. I'm obsessed with it. I can't stop looking at it all the time. And I thought that Ric Flair artwork and that Gail Kim artwork was like my favourite. And yeah. then just like every episode, Dan knocks it out of the park all over again. Dirt Furts on Instagram if you're following. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. So please let us know how much you love this artwork. And, and let Dan know how much you love this artwork. Exactly. And hey, if you're on Instagram, you can follow Joe at the Joanna Graham. And Kevin at Kevin Mahan. And How To Wrestling at How To Wrestling. And it's great to follow us because in our stories, there will often be little snips, little goofs, little uh, little previews of upcoming episodes. We often make the time pass in our various social channels by putting up little bits of editing. And you want to hear coughs and burps? That's the place to do it, folks. So, thank you everyone for all of your thoughts and your recommendations and your patience with the Gail Kim episode. I know this one got delayed, but I'm really happy that we managed to have a really great recording. Part two. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that we had to record this twice? And apologies for my voice appearing a bit strained, but I don't usually do these back to back. But <laughs> that's just the way the cookie crumb in this case. But hey, we can't wait for our next episode. How to Edge. You think you know him? Well, let us know if you do. And hey, if you're a backer on patreon.com slash how to wrestling, you can, of course, now get access at the $10 tier to Joe's Q&A series. Yay! Ask me anything. What can people expect from your Q&As, Joe? So this month's Q&A, I have a very red nose, as I mentioned earlier in this episode. Is that, I mean, it's video then, yes? It's video, yeah. Ooh. And I talk a little bit about relationships, long-distance relationships, dating profiles, how to become across, how to come across a bit better online when it comes to, like, online dating profiles and stuff like that. Talk a bit about skincare. How to snag yourself a Kevin Mahan, basically. Exactly. Look, I've got a lot of experience <laughs> with online relationships i've been in four five of them now including you so how about that i'm an expert you're an expert god i hope that doesn't bode badly for me in this podcast like why does it bode badly because you said like i've been loads of long-term relationships you're one of them like <laughs> <laughs> and then there'll be the next and the next after that. <laughs> so yeah um, if you are a five dollar backer consider bumping up to ten dollars it supports the show and joe directly and you will get access to all of the back catalogue there's two episodes available now and anyone can drop joe a question on instagram or on a public post on patreon for next month's q a and please do i love getting your questions you can also message me on curious cat if you want to keep it anonymous my username is fwendy that's f-w-e-n-d-y i know it's so cute that was my email address everyone's fwend at hotmail.com when i was 12 oh you're just about to get spammed now like. it doesn't exist anymore that's fine farmville re- re- requests coming your way <laughs> so yeah i'm really really excited to answer more of your questions please Ask me literally anything. There is nothing you can possibly ask me that I won't be happy to answer. Honestly, anything, anything. And I will say as well, it's really great to see, like, you know, you getting to have a chance just to have a a little bit of you time to chat your thoughts and things without having a a big, loud Irishman nearby. That being said, you have appeared in the last two Q&As. I needed to have a shower in the last one. I had to get a towel. I don't know. Literally, that's that's nothing I could have helped with. (laughs) Do you want me to smell worse? Is that it? Yes. And also as well, I will say, Joe, on my Q&A on Ashtiara Podcast said that she was taking advantage of the fact that she is a hot girl on her video series. Mm. So, you know, you've got that going for you as well. I'm hoping that means that a lot of Ashtiara Podcast listeners will be like, hot girl, hot girl, and then like immediately subscribe to our $10 backer on Patreon. How dare you accurately stereotype my listeners? (laughs) How dare you? 
Well, folks, anyone who's a background patron.com slash Wrestling, you can expect in the coming month we'll have the AEW episode review and the WWE Elimination Chamber as well ahead of WrestleMania, where we'll, of course, that month be doing another episode of the How To Revisited series. All $5 backers up, including the $10 backers, will get access to two pieces of content every single month. And, hey, thanks to everyone who's supported us so far. You help us keep making this show. I'm so excited for the next episode. Me too. Ooh, it's going to be a good one. Until next time, it'll be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.